It is April 11th, 2022. This is Rook. She is an Iranian-American singer and poet who's recently been chronicling the immigrant experience through her songs and stories. Ziba Shirazi was one of the first contemporary Iranian female artists who wrote, performed, and promoted her own musical works in the diaspora. She joins us later in the show. But first, he has become a photographer sensation for his captivating images of ballet dancers in motion. Ashkan Ruayayi is the Texan-Iranian creative force behind Ashcon Image. He joins us from Houston coming up. Plus, we have your letters of the week. This is conversations from, to, and about the Iranian diaspora. I'm Gian Gomeshi. This is Rook. Hi there, welcome to episode 174 of Rook Sado Haftado Chor Kion. Yep. Trying to help Thank you with you help you with the numbers. That. Very helpful. See when I do what I do is I say it in English first, one hundred and seventy four. Then I say it in Persian, and then that helps you with the numbers. I can't wait for a number that you can't <laughs> say in Persian. Now, question There's, for you: Do you actually practice it before you come on the show? No, Try that was, uh, that was like a, that, yeah, I freestyled that. Oh. You kidding, man? Did you see how I did that? Off the top of my head, sado hafta do chora. And then she and then she learns. You see, she learns Farsi then. He calls his he calls his mom before every show just to ask her these things we'll put them on the spot let me, l- let me listen let okay. me try uh, two weeks from now right uh, welcome oh. to episode 176 <laughs> see and then she what I'm trying to explain is then she learns the numbers you see I, I hear yeah. Yeah, you yeah, realize yeah, yeah. my Persian's better than yours right <laughs> I'm trying to help you that's all I'm saying I actually did a few years of Persian school thank you very much hope oh, you're so uh, proud of it hope you're keeping well wherever you're tuning in from around the world hello to you from Toronto Canada Salam Dustan Aziz Durud Bar Shoma this is episode 176 74. Last week was 173. Sado have to do se. See, se is three. That's what I'm that trying to yeah. And yes, then chaud yes. is four. Yeah. You want to keep going? Well, I'm just, the, I'm just trying to help. How do you say uh, 275? <laughs> uh, oh. Divisto have to the patch. No. Could you do it in a reverse way? Like, I'm not a performing monkey. <laughs> no, like, you, you guys are being racist. She said, I have to do What do you mean? What's the, how do I do that reverse? She said, I have to do punch. Oh, oh, 675. Yeah, can yeah. you do okay. big No, but numbers? you know, I understand Persian yes. better than I speak it. So, can you do like a big number, like 50,400? Of course. 22? Can you do a big okay, number? Okay, oh. say it. Say it. Say it. We, we both don't know. That's well, why. Well, 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 it's like, bring it up. Panjar. Hezar? Hezar is, you know, yeah. thousands. So, so Panjar, is it like Panjar, Hezar, mm. or Shish yeah. Sadon, whatever. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, come on. All right, cool. Let's just stick with the lower numbers, Keon, June. (laughs) 
Uh, singer, songwriter, and storyteller Ziba Shirazi coming up in about an hour. We're looking forward to having her on the program. Uh, and first, in, in a few minutes, Ashkan Roayayi. Have you seen his work? I have not. Ashkan images you guys have, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Dancer photographer. Oh my God, Keon, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta check it. No, it's really, really amazing. I mean, he's got almost two hundred thousand followers for Ashkan image on Instagram, and I think it's um, in this case, it's not because it's a. Uh, cat videos or something it's actually just like beautiful images of of um mostly ballet but of different dancers and mm-hmm. iranian guy based in texas mm-hmm. who's become this um photography sensation a really interesting and creative artist so we'll get to ashkan and his story i think he just had babies too oh yeah yeah, yeah. i don't know that how that's gonna no affect Ruz, his actually. uh burgeoning empire in texas but uh what on noruz he had birth- babies I think, yeah, yeah i think so on the hmm. noruz day i think he no way yeah. Yeah. wow that's, that's nice yeah. born hmm. on the new year amazing it's a new day new day <laughs> that voice you're hearing that nasally voice is captain <laughs> reza hi captain reza hello, hello sir. sir you see hello sir trying to help and out. groovy Shia, the mellifluous, uh, soft and uh, delicate and vulnerable sound of Shia. Hi, Shia. Shia from Dang Show fame. Every once in a while, somebody (laughs) says, I didn't know that he was in Dang Show and um, the fabulous, uh, fabulous group uh, and uh, the fabulous Keon. Hi. Mm. Hello. Now, I did not. uh, Now, well, listen, I have not asked you off the air. About these uh, these experiences you've been mm. having with the health, you know. Yes. Uh, and I know that you are a very healthy person. I so try. Other, yes. So I otherwise I wouldn't you know make mm. sh- make jokes about these things. But um, but I really couldn't understand the trajectory last week because <laughs> because what happened was like two weeks. First of all, I'm so excited to have the whole team here. Seems like it's been ages. It has. It's been at least. I two mean, weeks. based on you know, know various people being hospitalized or whatever. <laughs> I don't know where the hell Reza vacation. You know, he, yeah, vacation and going to you know, Corona. but uh, but so two weeks ago, mm. you couldn't come in. I had because a cold. You, you had a cold. It was a regular cold. Uh, but, uh, it wasn't COVID. Strangely enough, <laughs> not a bad enough cold that prevented you from going down south on a holiday. Oh, I had to. I paid so you, for that. So then you went on a holiday. <laughs> yeah. Then you couldn't come in last week because you had COVID. I actually got COVID. But you claim that they're not connected to they, each other. They can't be because the mm. first time I, I legit had a cold. I, mm. you know, like runny nose, whatever. And the test, I did a few tests. It came back negative. Mm. Um, it wasn't COVID. Then all I of a sudden know. it was And then COVID. I flew. And I, by the way, I was sick on my vacation. But, you know, I managed to have an okay time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I came back. And that time. Did you do a test while you were down there? Uh, be honest. No. no. No, I didn't. You had COVID. The whole time. You had, you had COVID the whole time. And but, you gave the whole <laughs> island COVID. I don't think so. No. You ran around the island giving everybody not. COVID. And then I came back. How and it was, was it? And then, I, I got what, better. Keon, here's oh. what I love. Here's what I love. Here's what I love. You came back on the Sunday, right? <laughs> And then the Monday, the next day was our show. Yeah. And then you said, I just tested positive for COVID. I got I it did. in the airport on the way back. So within 24 hours, you suddenly got COVID I, and had a honestly, positive test. So I got better from my cold during the vacation. And then 
I came back. I, so I don't. I don't know what it you was. Are it was sm- like, you're a smart I was, person. I'm just describing you, to you what, oh, happened. what happened. On the way back, I started to feel weaker, and you know, I was like, okay, <laughs> something's getting weird. Yeah, I tell you what happened. And then the Here's next day. So they, it's a weird, weird to believe that you <laughs> recovered from your cold. <laughs> yeah. And on the flight back, suddenly contracted a bad Stay case at of the COVID. Airport or something. And that's right. And then yeah. the next day, you know, tested or, positive. Or I got it there. I don't know. A dolphin gave yeah. it to me. I have no <laughs> idea. I mean. Why don't you just say I, you, you realized that you, you probably had yeah, COVID. You, it from ne- you okay. ran around and okay. gave it to the but island. Here's the you came thing. back here. Here's the thing. The no, I, like, like, the test came back uh, negative, the anti uh, antigen, whatever. Antigen, yeah. A few times. I did it three times. And then on the way back when I did the antigen test, because I, I was like, okay, something's weird now. Uh, right away, it said positive. Like there was no doubt. And then uh-huh. I did another one positive. So how do you <laughs> tell me? Like what, what is the happened? science well, Because you, you probably had <laughs> COVID, but you weren't tested positive yet okay well and then you didn't do a test for a week while you were down south feeling sick but you know no i was i was getting better i I got better that's the thing with covid you You you, get better and then you you feel you might feel you have some good days some bad days i don't know i thought i was recovered and then i went when i had it in january and then i went back and got a negative test again yeah well what do i know it came back negative i was like i'm not going to cancel my vacation that i paid for so by the way i'm not so sure you did a test before you went down. i swear to god i I think maybe i have evidence uh, you have evidence that how was that evidence generated that's what i want to know my boyfriend was a doctor i would have had all the evidence in the world i didn't have to pay for I have a stash of antigen tests. You somewhere. have a stash of, of fake COVID <laughs> yeah, uh, right. uh, certificates that but, are uh, but let me tell showing you. negative. Yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. I, you know, girls, you got to do what you got to do. Yeah. You wanted to go on vacation. And, and the last thing I wanted. I is just to hope come you didn't go around any seniors or people with, no. with you know. Uh, difficult health issues while you were, you know, yeah, you coveting it up in Turkey. I was just around a lot of dolphins and such. So, oh, you, know, you killed they, all they those might. dolphins. <laughs> I hope you're happy. <laughs> they can take it. I don't think the dolphins can contract like a. I think we talked about how dogs, yeah, Oogie, can't get COVID from yeah, me. You but know. they won't die from it. No, she killed a bunch of old people probably over there. <laughs> <laughs> like, got, not, at this point, <laughs> like, everybody. The last thing I wanted to do was come into the studio and get blamed again no, no, for no. giving everybody COVID. <laughs> no, so. no blame. Just yeah. just curious about the... So now, <laughs> you're, now you're much better. I, I am. Yes. And apparently I'm not contagious. Uh-huh. So I already feel... I already feel a bit of a sore throat. Don't blame me. Ever since, yeah, I don't yeah. know. Got a bit of an itch but it's kind of nice. I'm head. not going to lie. It's like the perfect excuse to just do nothing and relax in your bed and just watch Netflix. <laughs> I, I like, know. I can't lie. It if you don't get it bad. Yeah, if, if you, you don't, don't get, get long bad. COVID and yeah, all that stuff. True. I mean, yeah, there's these horror stories. Make me feel guilty. <laughs> well, no, I mean, <laughs> that's the other right? thing. You've had it a number of times. I have not. This uh, is the first uh, time. This is the first time that I There was the time that you gave it to me and Reza like a couple of months ago. Reza gave it to everybody. Anyway, moving on. Let's move and on. how are you doing, Reza? How was I'm, your weekend? I'm doing okay. The weekend was good. It was good. Mm-hmm. That's the only time off I have, so okay. I try to enjoy it as much as possible. You make that sound like your your life is more difficult than other people's. People, hey, most people have the weekend off and no, not, I not know. the during and the week. Let me tell you scientifically how it works for me. So because I didn't inherit very smart genes, I can't make up these <laughs> elaborate stories uh-huh. about getting COVID, going uh-huh. on vacation, uh-huh. and right. taking uh-huh. a week off. Right. Uh-huh. I got to work. I got to pay the bills. Keon, it's true. Keon's like a... <laughs> That's what happened like for me. Like a, a bank robber. Like she's got a good story that she, t- you know, she knows how to. Okay, next time smart. I get sick, 
like I'm coming in just because just I don't. Just you already did that. You already did that yeah. in December. That's how we all got COVID the first time. <laughs> oh. you, were, you got it from Reza. You, Stop this. Listen. Just send the photo of your test next time. I we'll did. I, that's, <laughs> I actually did that. I was like, there was She did actually send me a photo oh, sorry, of your test. Sorry. Yeah. My bad, my bad. And uh, uh, young Shia, how are yes, you? I'm good, I'm good, yeah. Okay. It's uh, Actually, as you said, I'm happy that four of us again here. Nice, yeah. Rubusi. Yeah, Dido was Yeah, That was nice. Isn't it Rubusi? is like to see each other again. Yes, but Rubusi Vagashot is really weird. You're trying to say Rubusi took place? No, no, I want to say Rubusi. What do I want to say? Rubusi, uh well, I Rubusi happened. Rubusi happened. Yeah, it did happen. what is six hundred seventy-five in, in reverse? That's what I want to know. If you can count. Okay, I had two interesting Iranian experiences uh, on the same day on Saturday. Wow. The first was I, I went to Doctor Reza Badahani's uh, funeral. You know, it's always sad going to a, a funeral, uh, and but all of the ceremony took place. Uh, w- what do you say, Ruyachok, uh, uh, on the in the burial ground? You know, and um, it was very interesting because the weather on Saturday. Uh, this is in mm. Richmond Hill, just north of Toronto here. Uh, where he was buried, the weather was very tempestuous and mercurial. Shia, yes. it was mercurial Mer- weather. What does mercurial, mercurial mean? means? Mercurial um, means unpredictable and mm. and sh- shifting. You usually you 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 use it about a person. You might say like uh, Reza is a mercurial person. You know, uh-huh. mm. uh, but um, but the weather was uh, at one point it was raining on us, and then it was sunny, and then it started to hail, and it was almost. It felt it was it was almost like a movie set. It felt oh. like it was so incredibly um, poetic, you know. With uh, as as uh, we were remembering Doctor Badahani, I, I almost wouldn't have it any other way. But but what I was going to say is there were a number of speakers, and um, including his daughter, and then Arsalan, his son, and then his his partner, and um, uh, Doctor Moridi uh, also spoke. And I don't think anyone was using notes. Nobody was sort of speaking from uh, a text. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a, a man there named Harun Siddiqui, who is a, was a longtime uh, editor emeritus at the Toronto Star, who I knew. And and I, I guess he remembers Dr. Barahani from when he was the head of Penn Canada and stuff, you know, um, which was a is a protective writers organization for journalists, et cetera. So Harun Siddiqui knew him from that. And Harun Siddiqui was remarking to me that it's it's amazing. He said, you know, in the Persian community, you guys, he's not Persian, you guys, the, all of these people have got up and spoken, and it was true, the, the speeches were incredibly beautiful and poetic and reciting poetry in some cases. And nobody was doing it from notes. Wow. Mm-hmm. And he said, like, I can't imagine a, a funeral in Canada, like a Canadian, you know, f- or I guess English, you know, funeral or something, where everyone is just reciting poetry this way mm-hmm. and talking this way mm-hmm. without having anything written down. Wow. And I thought that yeah. that was 
that was really an interesting observation, very you know, and a very beautiful one. Yeah. And it was true. They, though, everyone spoke with such, which, which I mean, Arsalom was uh, was lo- lovely. They all, they were all really speaking and integrating poetry into uh, what they were saying. Um, and then on Saturday night, a very different experience. I went to a birthday party. It was one of these birthday parties, Keon, that you've probably gone to, where uh, it was like a, a gala, a Persian gala, <laughs> of course. because somebody had a birthday. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? Like, uh, th- these are, you Crazy. know, it's, it's fantastic. And But, you know, and it was like one of those where everybody dresses up, yeah. you know, the, the north of Toronto gala. Yeah. Uh, but it's like a it, wedding, basically. It's, it's a wedding. It was yeah. somebody's birthday, but it was like a wedding. Yeah. Uh, I mean, better than a wedding. Like it was, yeah. honestly, I had a great time. I, I was, oh, was kind of- You usually don't like these kind of I things. I usually don't. Yeah. And I have really had fun, but <laughs> the funniest part of it is that- They drugged you, didn't they? No, I really- <laughs> Otherwise. <laughs> no, you know what? It was kind of, I think it was because- it was just a very warm vibe. Everybody, mm, everybody was into it, like more so than a Noru's gathering or a wedding or something. I don't know. People seemed really, but um, but but it did that thing where like eight p.m. You know, like the the evening starts at seven thirty. So eight p.m. The DJ is pumping out the music really yeah. loud. Like I've explained this before, but like in Western <laughs> culture where I grew up, you know. There's some. There's a cocktail hour. Then there's a dinner. Then there's conversation. There might be some speeches. Whatever. No matter what the event, no, you know the the DJ really kicks in maybe eleven o'clock after midnight. You know, in the wee hours, everyone's a little drunk. Gets on the dance floor. This Iranian thing where it's, a, it's like eight p.m. Let's go, <laughs> and and people are like, you know, like people are already forcing you on the dance floor, and I'm like, wow, we don't miss a we don't skip a beat. It's like, let's go, let's go. It's time for the party. Grab the appetizer and hit the dance floor. And somebody explained this to me uh, that this partly is a post-revolution thing where in in Iran. If you grew up in Iran after the revolution, of course, you can't go to bars. There's no, mm. there aren't public, you know, so people would party at home. Yeah. And so the home in people's minds becomes the, a, a place for partying. Like the, these events at night, a mehmuni, a yeah. gathering, a party is where you really party. Whereas, you know, in the West, it might be like you do a dinner party or something mm. more modest at home because you can always go out to a bar or a club mm. or something like that where you're going to really express your craziness, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. So the, <laughs> so the culture cr- is created of like, you know, early in the evening, let's party hard yeah. and, and dance. And, and Iranians just like to dance too. Hey, but right? you had a good time and you danced. I, sober like you wait as soon as you show up you no, have to dance here's what sober? you gotta do here's the move okay, tell you got, me, what's the move? You got to get trip. there you got to do like four shots of tequila okay. <laughs> right before, away. before 8 p.m right off right, the yeah, bat yeah <laughs> and, then, get you going. and then you have to start if, if you're smart you pre-drink so you drink that's at right, home that's right. uh, like a bottle of tequila so yeah. go in hammered it's uh it's like a it's like a super bowl party it's like you drink in the parking lot so you're ready for <laughs> the dancing true. that starts at 8 p.m uh, anyway, that was really fun event, but it, I mean, quite a contrast from the afternoon uh, uh, funeral. But it was a—I'll uh, never—I'll never tire of this um, 
this idea that Persians love to, we just, you know, yeah. ready for ready for dancing, yeah. ready to dance. And the men, and, the, and it's not just, you know, it's like everybody. Yeah. Everybody's yeah. ready to dance, the men dancing with each other. At 8, <laughs> at 8 p.m., men you know? Well, yeah, everybody's at like. At 8 p.m. At 8, yeah, it's not like a later in the night, everyone's well, loosening up. Well, when you put it thing. that way, it's weird. The men dancing with each other at 8 p.m. What do you mean it's weird? You don't, you, I know, it's but every I weekend you go to one way. of these things. I'm saying when you put it that way, it's weird, men dancing dancing with each other at 8 why is PM. that weird because <laughs> it's weird it's the, it's, why are you being such a homophobe yeah it's Reza. the early I'm hour I'm saying, what the hell's wrong just, with you <laughs> what is wrong with you Reza listen yeah. if one person can't be a homophobe it's me as Gianni <laughs> that's true <laughs> yeah I got a lot of gay friends and that's not an excuse I actually do alright moving on before it gets any weirder boy <laughs> <laughs> so they uh, like to dance these versions at 8 p.m. Yeah, things, right. things, <laughs> men with things really took a, a difficult <laughs> turn when uh, Reza started doing oh, yeah, I know. I sexual orientation humor. Yeah, should not have taken the wheel. Take it back. Well, the funny part is two men <laughs> at 5 p.m. in the afternoon. Uh, <laughs> what? Why? What are you saying? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> men dancing at 8 p.m. <laughs> why is that so funny to you? I don't know. It's the point is so that, that, was that he keeps repeating he's it. He's gonna though. write it. We a got movie past now. it. Yeah, he's still yeah. continuing with this. Ah, it's so funny. Look at Shia. Shia's got his head bowed. He doesn't understand. <laughs> he's like, "I'm damn sure you don't make these jokes." Jean <laughs> 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 is like Don Rickles. He can't let anybody like just sit there for a minute. He's got no way. Come on, get everyone. Okay, keep it going. Keep it going. Sado hashtodo chor. Todo baba. Half the shot. Yeah. Was so, this, so have you been practicing your Persian dancing, or did you just cold turkey? What are you talking about? Like, like I'm a good. I, I feel know, like it's I got been the a, moves. <laughs> no, well, not. it's been a long time since I've Persian danced, so like I, I couldn't it hasn't just. It has been that long. We did a Noro's video a little while ago. I, it's it felt weird for me. I couldn't really move the yeah, way. You were sitting Here's down. the truth. I feel like I need practice. Let me tell you the truth. Mm. I I feel. I feel like I can do that. I can fake the moves. Mm, okay. Uh, and these guys see me do it. I can fake the moves yeah. when if I'm at one of these things, and then people will go, "Oh, who mean actually?" Like, but the truth is, I feel like an imposter. Right. Be, yeah. And the reason I feel like an imposter is, <laughs> and I think Iranians in the diaspora. Ah. Good job. Oh, it's exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> Iranians in the diaspora. Diaspora. Uh, uh, like, like you and I, mm -hmm. who did not grow up in Iran yeah. and who <laughs> were, were, were um, reared and socialized mm. on Western culture. Right. Um, I don't know a lot of the songs. Yeah. I'm not like, they don't bring back memories of like, oh, remember when yeah. we were a teenager and yeah. Farzone sang this song or yeah, whatever their yeah, name yeah. is, you know? And so it's for me, it would be like the equivalent of playing like a Snoop Dogg song from the 90s and you get out and it'd be like hip hop or yeah, yeah, yeah. something that, you know, or even even Michael Jackson or something, yeah. some old disco. That or didn't something. speak to them. It, that, that would really get me going. That's mm. what I would feel like. Yeah, I'm, yeah. This way, I'm kind of like, oh, this is what we dance to because it's Persian, right, you right. know, and I yeah. try and do my moves. And yeah. I mean, not to say it isn't fun or there isn't, 
some songs that of course we mm-hmm. know but there'll be a few where everyone around Those me is nuts. singing to each other right. they'll be like ah it's yeah. like it's like the, the Rook team like yeah, Ponta yeah. and everybody right. like, singing right. all the lyrics and I'm yeah. kind of like uh-huh, smiling you know <laughs> yeah so Go that's team. yeah and then everybody like pats you on the back oh you're a good day yeah, you know yeah, what I mean good job little buddy and because most of the guys are doing that like robot you know <laughs> Persian dance thing where yeah. they keep it the whole body really yeah. tight but and, you, you know, captured it exactly because we didn't yeah. grow up with the, is that the way you feel I feel unnatural I feel like a fraud like when I'm yeah. you know like if but I'm you're, drunk you're, enough you're a good uh, person okay. too. Yeah. I fake it pretty yeah. well but if I'm drunk enough I you know it's natural yeah. but like if I'm you know if I haven't been drinking then I don't know what the fuck I'm doing yeah yeah Four, like, te- four tequila <laughs> shots before 8 p.m. There you go. That's and then trick. you're ready for that's the party. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I forgot you guys were here. <laughs> Keanu and I just talking to each other. Uh, dance moves. My apologies to Ziba Shirazi and Ashkan Roayayi. And the rest uh, of the are, listeners, for that matter. <laughs> the guests coming up. <laughs> Two men at 4 p.m. in the afternoon. Ah, eh? <laughs> oh, that's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that <was> so weird. <laughs> We're coming to you on rookmedia.com. It is there that you can link to all of our platforms. That's our website, rookmedia.com, where you can become a patron. Shia, why should people be, be become patrons of our program? Why? Yes. Why shouldn't they? Oh, yeah. well, well said, yeah. sir. No. Can you say 675 in reverse? <laughs> 675. <laughs> can you say it in reverse? <laughs> so 570s. No, uh, why should they become a patron? Uh, so... I mean, we we are pushing our 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 culture a step forward. So we need uh, other people in our community to help us to push our culture. And if you you know if somebody's a regular listener, if they're kind of uh, you know, and they're 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 one of our companions, one of our our, we'd love them to become part of Of the team by becoming a patron. So they go to rookmedia.com and just press the support us button and. Of course, we're trying to, we're on this ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity, not just through Rook, but the contemporary history of Iran and all the different uh, programs that we're doing at Rook Media. Um, so thank you. And with that said, mm-hmm. what is next week, Reza? Uh-huh. Next week? Yes. It's a holiday. No. <laughs> what is, what is. Th- is it a holiday? Uh, actually, oh, oh it's Easter. Yeah, yeah. It's Easter. But Passable. what is what is Passable. next week with respect to Rook Media? Uh, one hundred and seventy. Oh no, it's our anniversary. That's there right. Yeah, we're becoming two years. Two years old. That's yeah, right. We're, we're yeah. Yes. Old. yeah, It's our yeah. It's like pulling teeth. Even I knew that. Yeah, yeah. It's like forgetting your own birthday. Yeah. So exactly. So next week it's two years. Uh, since we launched this, wow. uh, this uh, little project, and and uh, to, so we're gonna have some two year festivities next week, but also Ali Reza Qurbani will be yes. our feature guest, the the incredible uh, Iranian singer and um, one of the great vocalists of the world. Of course. Uh, yeah. So Ali Reza Qurbani feature interview next Monday uh, as we celebrate two years. Of Rook. All right. I know we have a lot of letters yes, to get to. Yes, we do. Uh, and we've got dear uh, Zibashirazi after that as well. Let's get to our first feature guest, Captain Reza Grubishai, fabulous Keon C in a few minutes. My first feature guest today is an Iranian-American artist whose pictures have captured the imagination of the global dance world. Ashkan Ayayi is a Houston-based self-taught photographer who found a passion in dance 
photography and has parlayed it into a very prominent company. Ashkon is the founder and photographer of Ashkon Image and the company director at Ashkon Media. Ashkan was born and raised in Tehran and moved to the United States in his late 20s about 10 years ago. He founded Ashkan Image, where his main focus is on ballet dancers and portrait photography, as well as holding workshops about his process. Ashkan has worked with a variety of established companies, and his fine art photography has been seen on the covers of prominent magazines as, and as part of art exhibitions around the world. He expanded his business in 2017 and founded Ashkan Media, which is a creative creative marketing agency that provides clients with videography, photography, web design, social media. And right now, the photographer sensation Ashkan Royayi joins me from Houston, Texas. Hello, sir. Hi, thank you for having me. It's so good to have you, Ashkan. And you know how long I, I practiced your last name, the Royayi? <laughs> It's a tough one. It's a very tough one. We even don't go here. We we try to say Royai to make it easier for everyone. I was going to say, I mean, how do the Texans uh, deal with they this? Can't. Last <laughs> they try their best. They can. Even my wife can. <laughs> so, her own last name she cannot pronounce. Can they, can right. they say Ashcon at least since it's the name of all your yeah, companies? Yeah. Well, we misspell it from day one. We always put Ashcon, A-S-H-K-A-N. So they try Ashkin for us. You need to correct them. <laughs> so if you want them to call you Ashkin, you need to go A-S-H-C-O-N, then uh, the pronunciation comes correctly. Right, right, right. Not Ashcan, but uh, yeah. Ashcon. Um, you've got such an amazing story. I mean, you were, you're this Persian kid from Tehran who was studying biology in Turkey. Do you marvel at the idea here now that you've become a, a very prominent Texan dance photographer with hundreds of thousands of followers around the world? No, I would never imagine that I would be here one day. So it feels good to be you. Very, very much. <laughs> I'm, I'm really happy. Uh, Ashkan, the story is that you were studying in Turkey, uh, I guess in the, in, on a path to medicine. A friend who was a photographer encourages you to invest in a camera and you fall in love with photography after looking behind the lens of your first camera. I'm curious what it, what it was that you saw both literally and metaphorically or figuratively in that lens that sold you on this being your passion. It was mostly the composition that I could find on the human body, which is still in my platform right now. Uh, from day one, what I was trying to do maybe was a better connection between myself and my models or people. So human street and getting a very editorial picture of human being was something very interested me. And, and how did you, I mean, how did you even know that? Were you, were you borrowing your friend's camera? And, and I so, mean uh, <clears throat> honestly, I have a father that he's an artist as well. He's a self-taught uh, painter that he never knew that he's able actually to paint as well. I, I cannot say, I'm, I don't believe in miracles or something, but everybody has a talent that is probably, is somewhere in them, they need to discover it. I discovered it with the camera. And your, your, is, your dad isn't professionally an artist, is he? He is not a professional art artist. He's doing it just for fun. But if you see his pieces, is museum quality things. Huh. So somehow it is, it is in in you to be doing this. And and what do you remember? What your first um, when you first get this new camera? What what did you? What was your first shoot? What uh, did you? 
It, it was my own girlfriend. We have her naked with the very long hair all the way covering her back, sitting on the very dry tree in the middle of the school in Turkey, Ankara, which is very conservative country too, and that ended up being a cover of the magazine for our school. Uh, okay, okay, so you started with a splash. I did. <laughs> Right, I was right. lucky from day one. <laughs> and, and, and I guess your girlfriend was okay with this, being on the She was, she was. She got a lot of attention to it. She, uh, luckily, she was very open-minded and her family as well because that was a very, what you call it, a very uh, bold picture coming out, especially. Uh, but the magazine editor was another Iranian. His name was Paymon Jaffrey. He was very pushing on that too. So we all, kids coming out of Tehran, coming or other city in Iran, coming to that school, which is a very technical school as well, very communism school too. We end up getting the cover of the magazine and talking a lot about uh, not being a modest. Wow. What I'm was the, very, yeah, I mean, that's a real statement. Do you, what, what, what was, what would you say in retrospect now was so, was special about that photo? It was very dramatic, a look of how maybe sad the environment looks like for a woman actually if you look deep into it is a girl she's sitting on a dry tree naked with her hair covering her you don't see her much you just see her legs hanging from the branch and the back of a woman it was a black and white picture too it's still such a thing it still is going in all my pictures uh you will see a woman in a power in every single shot that I'm doing. You see very less gentlemen. If there is a gentleman in the shots, they are empowering a female beside them on the shots. It's Although still is not intentional, but it happens a lot. That's interesting. I did notice that most of your photos were women, but I just thought, well, maybe that's because there's more women dancers, but that doesn't make sense. There's male dancers as well, right? They so are male dancers, so correct. And even if you are shooting a male, if you see my, pieces they are more feminine than muscular i'm going to get to your your the incredible work by the way your work is so is so compelling i will Thank uh, you. i as people listen to this they should check you out online uh, um it's no secret why you have the kind of following that you do it's it's really really amazing stuff but uh, let's just take a few steps back and and talk to me about how you got where you are because um you you had a an interesting childhood, something of a nomadic childhood. Your family takes refuge in Europe during the last years of the Iran-Iraq War. You're born during the Iran-Iraq War in the mid-80s, and then you return to Iran. You have your teenage years there, and the story I hear about you is that you were a really good athlete, that actually sports was your milieu, not necessarily sure. arts. So did you have... I mean, now that you say your dad is a painter, but did you have any sense that you were so artistic or was your your mind trained on being an athlete at that point? No, it was completely being an athlete. Even, even the college was scheduled to be a scholarship for the athleticism and just going, going, going. And you're, you're a tall guy, so you're... 6.2. So you were going to... Did you play basketball or volleyball? What was your thing? Volleyball. I played volleyball in college and last two, last, I mean, June, uh, sophomore and senior year of the high school. Then in the college directly, I got in the team. I, I was in a bench for two years, but after that, I was full-time in the school just playing volleyball. Wow. And are you... Are you still good or now that you're a fancy photographer, you don't? You're a- no, I lost it all. 
your, your body is atrophied. You're, you're completely out of shape. So, <laughs> How did you know that? <laughs> so, so, so talk to me about this. Here's this guy who's an athlete um, who's later going to show this incredible proclivity and talent for being a photographer and artist. Uh, was studying medicine in Turkey then a product of family pressure? That's true. So it's very cliche. Parents ask you even become a doctor or lawyer or the least that you can do become an engineer. Since they were living in Texas, they really wanted me to even, if I cannot do the others, go for the petroleum. Well, I got in a pre-med biology for coming here and continue, but I was not good at it at all. It was not my thing. So, and I was not good at it. I knew I'm not enjoying being in a lab studying anatomy or any other things or genetic or biology. So photography probably was my runaway or the only option. And and how did the Texan-Iranian family uh, react to, uh, Mama and I think I'm just going to take pictures for a living. <laughs> I didn't say it. <laughs> so the school is done. I'm taking some a few years break. <laughs> that, was, that was a comment. <laughs> a, a sabbatical before I start uh, my life as a surgeon. Yeah. Yeah. And now she's hanging that degree on her uh, room, <laughs> just looking at it daily, even I, I don't have it. Are myself. your parent your parents must be supportive now in terms of the success you've had? They, they are enjoying it a lot because the platform that I have right now in Houston, I have a. Uh, you see some of my art behind me. I have a. I have an art gallery that is always on. There are a few galleries that are representing me. There are uh, other cities galleries are going on. So the name is keep coming up everywhere. And they, they receive videos and pictures from Iran, from random people. Is this your kid? They are, they really, they are enjoying it, to be honest. So the story goes that you actually got a gig um, in Turkey. You were you had become a photographer, a working photographer there, right? You were working behind the scenes yeah. in television. Uh, last year after school, uh, senior year about to graduate looking for get some extra income uh start doing extra in tv shows so passing by back there just getting money daily something 20 bucks a day they i always had my camera with me and i always had the book with me it got the attention to the director he asked me are you are you in photography school journalism school something like that i said no the school that i was going to was a very prestigious school so like a like a visa school in turkey is very hard to get into it too they have like national exam to get into it too it's not just like mm. here you can get into school so never mind he learned where am i coming from where is the school that i'm a study at and it become he kept even very interested at me he told me, okay, keep shooting behind the scenes, bring me your portfolio. So I shot his behind the scenes the next week that I brought the portfolio, he hired me. He told me that, okay, you're hired. You're our behind the scenes photographer from now on. He, he passed me to the accountant and everything. So I start getting money. And after that, he hired me for the same show, uh, act in a very cheesy show for 80 episodes with my own name in Turkey. I was a bartender. And meanwhile, I was taking pictures too. And I had a chance to take care of, take a picture of all these celebrities that they were coming up or they were already really good. Their portrait, their casting. So that was my first portfolio, casting photography, portrait photography with all the known Turkish superstars. Did people recognize you from being the, the, the bartender in the cheesy no. TV show? No. no, no, no. I did the first role lady, first, <laughs> first female on the show. That part, few times I get the publicity in a magazine or something uh -huh. like that. No, we were super young. The cheesy show was so super over 
Right. Uh, no, nothing. <laughs> Nobody knows me. <laughs> she may be listening, you know. You don't want to go and say she was super overrated. But, uh, but, okay, so you have a, so then you have this thriving sort of portrait um, photography business going on. This is what, Inst- Istanbul? You're in Istanbul? This is Ankara still. Then next year I'll move to Istanbul for the same matter, actually. I got promoted to the better shows. So, I mean, Istanbul is one of the great places to live in the world. Why would you right. tell me about the decision to come to the United States in 2012? And after 12 years of waiting, papers were accepted. The green card was proven. My brother did twice traveling, coming to Ankara. The second time interview, they sent us to Armenia because the Ankara embassy was closed a lot of drama my brother was supporting a lot of expenses we got the green card that said it's time to move to usa and come joining your family uh i did my best to stay i really requested that i would like to say i'm having a dream life here but i'm so glad that they insist they asked me to join them here in texas uh i'm really enjoying it i'm really enjoying being with family seeing them every week maybe twice a week now that's a blessing to have the family around us, so they're gonna help us no raise doubt. in the tweens. No doubt. Let me let me get to that. But I know Houston. I don't want to typecast it. I know it's a much more diverse place than it it was in the past. But but moving as an Iranian guy who's thriving with a career in in Istanbul, it was it a culture shock to suddenly land in Texas. It was, and I knew what I'm gonna face. Luckily, the one of the only thing in my life did before I do it was studying about Texas before I moved here. So I knew what I'm going to face uh, for six months, completely depression. That was the only depression probably I got in my lifetime. It was bad. Mm. Uh, after six months, I switched the job. I started waiting a table in the Iranian restaurant. That helped a lot to meet people. People encourage you, people finding you, people a little bit being more interested in your personality. So I start learning, uh, getting my English better too. Those days was not the second language, was a third language. I was just coming in. So after the six or seven months, life got better. I worked at that restaurant for three years. Wow. And even I kept my apartment in Istanbul for a year after I moved here. But after a year, I flew back. I returned everything. I did my piece. I'm out of here. And everybody, according to my friends in Istanbul, they are saying you did good because uh, they are having a lot of politic issues that what we had in Iran too. So they are happy that I left. And I wouldn't be in this place that if I would have stayed in Turkey, you never know. I might be a what you call a celebrity photographer probably in Turkey by now. Well, look, I mean, you come to Texas and you're, uh, I didn't know you were waiting tables in a Persian restaurant in Houston. That's a, that's a great image. Uh, but, but at the same time, I guess you are, you start doing photography because I know you, you start by doing por- portrait so, photography, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, so basically I need to ca- gather some money. I get rid of my gears in Turkey. I couldn't bring my studio here. It was a very expensive uh, packages to bring here. So first year, buying the computers, buying the first camera, by supporting everything from the family or so. The next year, start shooting very small things. So maybe 2016 was my first gig. So I got my first gig after four years being here. And it was a furniture photography. Oh, f- furniture? I thought, because I thought the story I heard was in 2016 is when you started focusing exclusively At on dancers. In 2016, I started focusing on the dance. Okay. You know, that's the year I got married. What's crazy is how fast this has happened for you. I mean, it not, happened really quick. Not, not that you, um, 
you know, didn't put in those years in Turkey and, and the facility you have for, for photography, et cetera. But I mean, 2016 was, it's not that long ago. And, and here you are, this like guy who's being recognized around the world for your dance photography. I mean, that's- Thank a, you. Am I? I? I'm not sure about that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting in Toronto and I knew about you and- uh, oh, That's you know, amazing. So, uh, I, you, tell me about the decision to, first of all, how did the connection to dance come about? I get that question from everyone and I never have a best answer for it. I'm trying to find it. So let's, let me take you all the way to my childhood. So we did not watch any female dancing ballet when we grew up, something missing in our entire life. We didn't know such a thing exists probably, mm -hmm. but I had a father that was always buying very interesting statues for house. I saw it when I started the photography, I never saw it. There was two ballerinas always in our house very uh, still he has them he has few acrobats and few ballerinas and statues at home skip that part uh instagram photography very interesting looking at the other people pictures there's a guy in new york and his name is omar uh, arbas arbas i guess he was doing an amazing work uh, taking picture of the ballerinas in the middle of the street and he become a, a very known dance photographer everybody mm, knows mm. i got i got inspiration from him and nobody was doing it in houston except a guy randomly doing it it was not as strong at all second uh there was another studio photographer named um, lois greenfield mm -hmm. which later remind me i have a good story about that uh that i studied her book in a school by by just by chance i just pick it up it was very interesting it was a uh, stopping movement book it was very interesting photography from the dancers. So that was always behind somewhere in my, uh, what you call it, there's a term for it in English, I cannot say it right now. It was always in me that uh, such a thing can start it. So I started trying it. I asked a few dancers, do you want to work with me in the street? And I have my portfolio was completely portrait. I got the first one, I got the second one. After that, I got the very known ones. And after that, Canon published me in one of the very early shots as soon as Canon published me, we were good to go because my camera was Canon. The shot that I got was right after a very disaster uh, hurricane here in Austin, uh, Houston. Harvey, I'm not sure if you ever heard sure, about it. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah, yeah. So I put one of the dancers right again, female uh, minority. She uh, is a black ethnicity. She was sitting beside the wall, hugging her uh, uh, niece. Mm -hmm. being on her point, being mm -hmm. a, in a very dramatic face. Mm -hmm. And actually, I gave Christina, my wife at the time, she was my uh, girlfriend or fiance. She wrote down something about Harvey on it, and we put it on the Canon. Canon posted. As soon as Canon posted, everything changed. I think you can see the photos you took during that. If you scroll for, for down far enough on your Instagram, there is a couple of those photos, right, from that. that That's correct. Yeah. I can, um, um, it, it's pretty known picture. Mm. I used to have it on the wall. I don't have it on the wall behind me, but if you want me to find it to show it here, we definitely. Well, can no, do I mean, it. I, uh, people can check it out on your Insta, but uh, but yeah, it what, is. What, I it mean, is. I know you would have an answer to this because you teach these workshops now, and you've obviously thought about your own process and and what what it is about you that creates some of this ma magic. What do you believe that the human body, and in particular the movement of dancers, provides uh, that 
creates this best compliment to, to the artwork that you do. What, what is it about dancers as opposed to shooting a, a beautiful mountain vista or a building or a, a shopkeeper or anything else? The, uh, to me, every photographer would love to work with the dancers. Dancers are the only human being that provide you the composition that you're looking for. Uh, they are phenomenal. They are artists themselves. They can provide you lines that no one else can do. Even the most professional models cannot provide you the lines that you're looking for. Uh, what I did was exceptional. I combined it with the fabric or complete nude, even all the way with something that is around them or they being just themselves, nothing covered them, we painted them. Uh, I don't think so. There is any other human being kind that can provide what a ballet or ballerina can provide you on the in front of the camera it seems so tied to your brand now that dancers and 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 in terms of the resume of works that are out there of yours do you i mean if somebody came to you and said hey can you i'm going to pay you a lot of money can you shoot my family and i sitting by a pool would you say no because you're not dancers yeah. i mean yeah, <laughs> I used not to, but this year we reject everything besides dance and anything related to dance. Well, I have multiple photographers right now in my team, but still they cannot do it either huh. uh, because we are so busy with what we are doing right now. And we rather, right, this is a first year that we are selecting who we are working with. But before that, yeah, it's a starter. Right? right now I'm saying I cannot do it anymore. I'm not a dance. I'm not a family portrait photographer. I'm the dancer. What if I what if I pretend to be a dancer and wear a Nuriev kind of outfit? I can, can make some good picture out of that. <laughs> I can put you in a tutu, <laughs> put you in the middle of the scene, and I'll take um, it. I'll take on it. the trampoline. I'll take it. And just, that picture go viral. <laughs> just to be photographed by you, I'll take it. You know what's interesting is um, your friend back in Turkey, the one who said, "Hey, you should try taking photos," and encouraged you to buy that first camera. Um, you know, thought that you had some kind of eye for this, some sort of facility. But you've said, I've, I've watched you in a couple of interviews saying that you think your success is based on how hard you've worked and you don't actually think you have a quote-unquote natural talent for photography. Are you being modest? Is that tall off? Or do, yeah, you, do yeah, you really think yeah. you don't have a special talent? You know, I strongly believe the hard work here more over the talent. Huh. Uh, I remember the days that I was laying in the street in the middle of the downtown Houston, the dirt, dealing with the bombs, keeping my dancers safe or something like that, working for free to be able to make a portfolio. And still there is a lot um, going serving a table and during the weekend or going after that to the weddings, stay till midnight up to take pictures, to save some money, to be able to what I'm dreaming for. To me, definitely, on my scenario, hard work was winning over the talent. It's an interesting philosophical question. I don't want to go into the rabbit hole here, but of this, but it it's a broader question that one often thinks about when around artistry. I mean, it, because I feel like there is a person who could spend hours and hours and hours and hours and hours and hours practicing the violin and just never be as good as somebody else who puts in those hours but has a facility for it somehow um you really don't think you have a natural facility for for this that that idea of composition or being able to capture these things if you ask me to be honest i have a personality for it more than anything else a personality 
the personality then can communicate with the people and convince them to work with me. Oh, so you think you think part of your success has been about getting the right people to work with you? That's correct. And I have a very strong team that if I don't have them, I wouldn't be here. There is a lot of people behind what I'm doing. There's eight of them right now. I really appreciate how rook you're being. You're, you because that is that that is part of it. In any in any, I mean, that's true in music too. It's a it's kind of about who you can get to work with you and who you surround yourself that's with right. and who you're associated with yeah, and anywhere. That's correct. It would be easy for you to say, given your success now, yeah, I guess, uh, you know, I guess I'm just really, I have something that nobody else has. But but you're you're talking about hard work and a personality that helps, you know, put you in the right place. Yeah, uh, no, that's completely true. I'm very blessed with my team. Uh, my senior team member has been for five years. Uh, I have a... One of my best assistants, she's graduating from Parson this year and she's coming back. So the team that we put together is my youngest is 19 that is helping me and she is a former professional ballerina. So uh, there is a lot behind everything you're seeing. And definitely if even my wife wouldn't support me for the days that I was not making much money, she was making the money, hmm. uh, probably I wouldn't be here. You're very, Ashkan, you're very open about your process. Um, in fact, you have a step-by-step -step guide for what you, you do called Our Process on your company website. One of the things you do is a consultation with the client, with the dancer, uh, in advance to get to know more about them and what you're going to bring out in the photos. Now, that's in and of itself not a surprise because uh, anybody who's going in has had professional photos done, you know, knows that there's usually a consultation. Okay, what's the vibe? What do we want to communicate? But I was thinking about you and I was thinking about these photos given that the photos are almost always or a lot in a lot of cases in studio and they're in motion and there there's not a lot of clothing other than the dance clothing uh what are the kind of things that you're looking for in terms of communicating who these dancers are i mean you can't it's not like you can you're not saying okay let's shoot you with your dog or in a field or wearing your favorite boots to communicate a vibe that most photographers would you know this is this is about something that you can only capture in this limited these parameters that you've put around yourself so what do you do in those conversations that and and how do you communicate that through what you get the dancer or the client to do um we have two kind of the clients the one that hires me or the one that i hire them the ones that are hire me so definitely we are looking for what they are trying to get out of these pictures is that the personal or this is for auditioning to going for somewhere and the most important thing for us normally is to understand if they are classical or they're contemporary or what is their main genre of dancing. Um, beside that, what is the color pattern that they like the most to sh sh use it in a photography and what is the best that they have seen it on platform that they like a lot and they want to go on that direction. That's the angle that we are trying to get out of them. That's normally when we are having a younger dancers hiring me for their portfolio. Uh, which recently we are getting a lot of older dancers hiring us for their portfolio too. But the other one is when I'm hiring a dancer to come in for the final production, then I'm talking to them what I'm looking for. Uh, is this something that is interested them as well? Do they want it to be in this concept and picture with me? So we talk about it. We put the mood board together. That's the most important part of the day. 
to understanding what is a mood board and what is a wardrobe. And after that is a day off, and how does our hair and makeup look like? And we go after that. The other part of it is, yeah, we have a lot of fashion, fashion designers that they send our, their wardrobe to us and we use their, use their wardrobe for the picture so they get publicity out of, out of our pictures. Hmm. Did you say the mood board? What's yeah. The, what's that? So there is a large board on the wall. There is a lot of vibes that we are going after. For example, what she wants to do, we put it on the wall as an inspiration. Then we go somewhere close to what is inspiring us. Okay, let me let me just try this right now. All right, I'm a I'm a dancer. We're on the consultation call. Uh, forget whether I've hired you or you've hired me. I know that's important to you. It's not important to me. Well, I'm saying. Okay, um, I'm I'm an introspective person. I'm somebody who who really thinks a lot. I get inside my head a lot. How do you communicate that in a photo of me dancing? That's a good one. But <laughs> 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 well, we, we we go with a very dramatic move on that. Dramatic lighting, something that is not very uh, movementy, hiding her face as much as possible on it, to be able to show how how she is in herself and she is in her head uh, to show that uh, drama of actually what you're talking about, definitely. But if you will say that I'm very bubbly, I'm very outgoing, I'm, I love my people, I will put a colorful background behind you with a very mm. vibrant dress and I will take your picture when you're super happy. Yeah. I, I I love that you've carved out this um, this. Uh, it almost looks like going on your website. I guess you you're certainly known amongst the the, the Houston uh, pho photography community and the dancers there. Um, it's it's an interesting place to see that where you're based from. When I first saw your Instagram and the hundreds of thousands of followers and all that, I thought I figured you must be in uh, in New York or L.A. or you know I don't know Milan or London or something. Uh, I know you met your wife in 2013 and in Texas, and she's very supportive, and your family's there. But tell me about the business decision to not move to an even bigger center like New York or LA as a renowned photographer. There is a Houston Ballet company in this town, which have one of the, to me, one of the strongest cast. Uh, that they are using in town, and their dancers are very strong. Beside that, there are a few more companies here that they are very dancer, uh, very strong at what they are doing. So we can say Houston actually, surprisingly, is one of the dance mecca in US, maybe third or fourth ones. We have a lot of dancers here. So it was a good spot, not as good as New York or as good as California, but California is not that good actually. Uh, maybe let's say just new york or boston because they are london um they're much stronger but my platform what i started it was matching because almost no competition here hmm. maybe everybody was thinking like you were thinking that okay Texas is not a good place to do it but right now probably in south u.s i'm one of the most strongest dance photographer and i'm really enjoying it to a solo show so be the one that being selected by the dancers right, right. for the portfolio or when i invite them they no question asked they will come to studio but that takes years it took 40 years to become and you have the uh 
added superpower advantage of the Horst Abadem June that your mom is making you while you're uh, uh, in the middle of these important shoots, right? Yeah, we made it on Sunday, so I had it today. <laughs> yeah, I had just launched Christian Wedding June. Yeah, that, that, that's a blessing. Honestly, to have mom around, it's for us that we are immigrating. It's one of the best things can happen. Let me, now that I'm asking about business, let me ask you a few more business questions and particularly around the business of photography in general. This is something that's come up with a couple of other photographers we've had on the show, uh, Feeders Zahedi, Kusha Lagban. They're, they're, they're people who are professional photographers who have been affected by the state of technology that's changed in, in the world. And, um, the fact that, uh, as I like to say, everybody thinks they're a photographer now. So, smartphones you know even even up until just a few years ago smartphones were phones that allowed you to take some mediocre pictures um now they're these amazing and easy cameras that um incidentally also happen to be a phone or something you can text on how do you ashcon carve out a business when uh, even with a niche like you do when everyone with an iphone 13 believes they're they're a photographer Mm, to me, uh, because of the lighting that we are using or the, way the technology that we are using this far from phone technology, neither pandemic nor technology is affecting our business here. We are doubling almost every year and we are enjoying it actually to be part of it. Uh, no, I don't think so. To me, if you stay on top of the technology yourself and you be able to provide something that other people cannot provide, I'm not saying that other da photographers are not doing. Maybe the branch that they are photographing is something that they are uh, maybe hurting at it, but for, did that happen for me? You're not threatened by the idea that everybody thinks that they can they're their own photographer iphone now. cannot do what i'm doing because there is over eight or nine or ten uh, how many lights are involved with that kind of photography and flash has to be there to be able to freeze such a moment of the dancer movement beside that you need to know dance on top of that you need to know how when to click that shutter to grab the right moment when they're dancing okay. and i learned dance i didn't know the ballet at all zero zero information now I know a little bit. They that that's an art. I mean, definitely a ballerina or ballet. They are artists themselves. In terms of your the the strength of your social media presence, almost two hundred thousand followers on Instagram, for example. Is that is that heartening for you? I mean, there's something that makes me feel good about, about the fact that your your photos have a lot of uh, I dare say I mean I don't want to sound judgmental for others for influencers or whatever out there but your your photos have a lot of integrity they're not just sort of you know hot pics of of sexy people or something like that the fact that you've built a real audience for that kind of photography is that heartening for you can you explain it what is heartening me here I mean, do you take pride in the fact that you're um, you're you're sort of doing things on an artistic level and getting the, and having the success that you're having, as opposed to just you know the the stuff that we already know gets a lot of clicks. 
No, I'm so happy about it. It's not a pride or anything else. I'm super humble and happy about it. Actually, it makes my life very, uh, what you call it, more, more interesting. And we didn't have this much follower almost a year and a half ago. Everything happened during the pandemic. I mean, before pandemic, I was having 25,000 followers. Once we start TikTok, TikTok is half a million right now, over half a million. And uh, 187 or 9 is on the uh, Instagram which uh, all happened during the pandemic. Dancers at home, photographers at home, everybody at home, everybody on social media. Uh, we had the right marketing for it and everything went viral. A few videos, we had over 20 million views. And to be honest, those were my dogs dancing with the dancers. <laughs> those are the most viewers. It sounds like Hesabashidari. I mean, how, how hard, how much time do you spend building your TikTok and your Instagram and your social media presence? I have a full-time employee for it, 40 hours a week. Yeah. Just just no ed joke. just dedicated to your social media. Yeah, just for dedicated for sure. It's a full-time job. But you oversee that. Absolutely. Uh, but they're dancers. That's a, that's a thing. They are dancers or they know the dance. So they have the videos, they take their videos or the pictures are ready and they combine everything together and they go over the over the Instagram and post everything. And I have my marketing firm to behind me. So uh, to be honest, that marketing firm has started being built because we couldn't afford the marketers for ourselves. Mm. Uh, we started to do it ourselves and we were good at it. So people start hiring us and say, okay, here's another branch of money income. Uh, basically, yeah, that's how everything happened. Would you go so far as to say you can't just be a, a great photographer these days? You have to be a, a promoter as well. Uh, no, you can be a just great photographers. Too. There are people just by being very good, being picked by main magazines or something like that. They're very young. We have on the Vogue, uh, one of the youngest photographers joined Vogue and no portfolio, nothing. He had the talent. Mm. He had an eye for it. He's doing it. He's doing it perfectly too. He's he was nowhere on social media. They just brought him in. Now he's a big one on social media too. It's both, to be honest. Uh, mine was hard work. The other one is for talent. Uh, you mentioned earlier the support of your wife, and from what I understand, you've just had twins. And how do you think having kids is going to affect your um, your actually your perspective as a photographer? Um, I'm going to add toddlers in the pictures. I'm going to get more famous. <laughs> that was a whole goal plan. No, I don't know. It's going to be more fun. It, it, wanna, it absolutely will be more trustfully because your father and I, you have toddlers. Uh, honestly, everybody's love for me is triple right now. I mean, when I was not becoming a father, a lot of people won't give a damn to you. <laughs> oh, really? It's like, we're pregnant. We're having the kids. They love you to the death. Really? I don't know where it's... is that coming from? But maybe because of they have their own child and they know how what, what how much responsibility you're going under. So this is my first trial, first rodeo of the kids. Let's see how and we are planning to have it as a last because they're gay, boy and girl. So jackpot, we had it on one shot. But it's good. It's good business having um, imminent twins. Uh, people, <laughs> people For like sure. you. I, it's, it's, I had two dogs. And that works. Uh, now uh, let's see with the twins. <laughs> your wife is is Cajun and Mexican. You are an, an Iranian in America. I mean, what kinds of conversations do you guys have about how you're going to bring the kids up with respect to language and culture? Uh, that's going to be fun. 
So we talked that I should speak Farsi with them, which I wanted to speak Turkish with them. So my wife, my parents speak Farsi with them. And my wife speaks Spanish with them. And they go to school for English. But I don't think so. None of them will happen. <laughs> You're going to be lazy at home and speak English all the time. That's that's a true <laughs> story you're going to have. But my parents don't speak at home for English at all. So I'm sure they're going to talk with them for C. Um, I'm not around my Turkish people at all. So Turkish is gone. Time to time, I just listen to the uh, legend singers. Or I have my good friend just in Turkey. I talk with them once a month, maybe. So that's going to go. Uh, Spanish definitely they're gonna learn because in Texas actually I can't say not as much as Florida but mixed, uh, Spanish is very important here yeah I was gonna say these kids are I think they're really lucky I mean this is amazing you know what a blend Cajun Mexican Iranian uh, you know American I mean it's it's a really it's beautiful and it's a good setup and they are going them. to grow up in a studio because she quit working she's gonna come to work with me with the boy with the kids it's gonna be fun to have twins at the sessions. We're gonna have fun. Uh, these poor kids, you're forcing them to be your mo- your models already. Uh, you know, <laughs> dad needs to take more photos of you. Get in the studio. Um, <laughs> I'm three. No, I'm Stop sure it. they will appreciate it when they grow up. Some of these dancers, your principals, or something like that. That that pictures will be very valuable later. <laughs> <laughs> Don't force them, Hala. They go, okay. No, they want to be a dancer. They can but be they, a dancer. No, I'm uh, not gonna force them. Okay. <laughs> They, um, they have to become a doctor, though. <laughs> that's right. That's right. You can be a dancer, honey. First, get your medical uh, license, and then. Uh, True. <laughs> you, Ashcon, you have a new project that I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about before I let you go. That that you're you're kind of breaking new ground with, and that's a collaboration between Houston and Israel. You're working with an Israeli artist, and the exhibition in Houston is called Dream Peace. Um, what can you tell us about why this is important to you? Uh. This is another uh, gift of uh, social media. Uh, an Israeli artist many years ago started painting my pieces. That was maybe late 17, 2017. Uh, when I saw she tagged me, I asked her, did you know that I'm Iranian? That was that was everything. Started. She loved the idea that I'm Iranian living in Houston and she's an Israeli artist in Israel. Uh, she's painting my pieces. She religiously, after that, started painting it and went after it, PR it and everything. I really liked it too. So together we start the show named Dance Piece, actually. Uh, the first show was recently over in Houston, was a successful piece. Uh, she is doing it. She's basically picking my pieces, photography pieces, paint them over the old books, which normally includes things from Iran, hmm. which is very amazing. So imagine she put the camera, she find the books about Iran in Hebrew, and she put all the pages and she paint over them. You can find the examples on my uh, on my fine art photography, which is my name and last name dot com. The project name is Dance Piece. So it's very meaningful. So I'm seeing two people that they are not even in their Iran and she's not even related to Iran and doing pieces that is actually related to Iran mm-hmm. with the ballerinas that they are not allowed to dance in Iran. So everything that is supposed not to happen is happening. Mm-hmm. It was one of the project was very heart feeling for me. Is it, is it, it, still, is it still going on in Israel? The show in Israel is still going. Uh, is in one of the universities, very close to Tel Aviv, is in a campus. 
I have 20 pieces on the wall and she has 25 pieces in the wall. It's beautiful. I do my best to send you a link if you want to add it on bottom of the podcast so people can see it. Um, I'm getting interviewed by another Iranian podcaster in Israel about that show very soon. Mm -hmm. I was going to ask you you, if you're hearing from people in Israel about this uh, exhibition. I get a lot of tags and a lot of people show a lot of love about it. And they go see tag me and say this was like that. That was all I got. But it still was a very good very good uh, experience mm. to do so. I was I was planning to go. So we end up meeting Israeli consulate here for it, which was for me saying goodbye to go back to Iran. Mm. Uh, they invited me to Israel. We couldn't go for the pandemic or everything else. I was becoming a very good friend with the culture of fair person. And they moved now out of here. They're in London. Train is passing again. Do you want me to hold? Yes, wait for a second. Okay. How do you feel about the idea of not being able to go back to Iran again? Uh, I'm not knowing that by sure that I'm going to have problem, but we had a lot of publicity about me in Israel that I'm uh, at this moment. I think if I go to Iran, I will have some problems. Ashkan, do you have is do you know if I'm assuming that some of your audience is probably in Iran that follow you on Instagram or TikTok? It is, it is. There was a video went viral in Iran and there's a bunch of celebrities reposting it. So that caused my audience in Iran increasing enormously. Mm. And that must feel good. Yeah, it was very good because right now, out of, for example, um, 20% of the comments are in Farsi too on my plan. Yeah, it's always good to see something in Farsi. And I'm the, I'm, I always respond to those only. <laughs> Really? Yeah, because it's something special. That's sweet. It's your mother language. Yeah, that's really sweet. That's really sweet. It is. It is something that makes you actually I keep going for it. Well, um, I, I've really enjoyed the chance to get to talk to you. And, I, and, well, thank and you. Uh, I I'm so proud of how how well you've you are doing and and you've done your your business is doubling each year as you say you do a lot of public workshops these days you do have a following around the world how how big do you want this business to be do you have a a particular goal in mind for where you want to take ashcon images and ashcon media uh i would like to one day shot a cover of vogue or example of vogue or be on the cover of it. That's a dream. On the videography and the marketing part, I would really love to start doing a documentary actually and take my view to the documentary side. So as soon as I have more experience on filming and documentary, definitely what we are doing right now, we would like to move it on to motion film, not just on the freezing film. I mean, the stop. Um, I, I lost it here for um, motion film, not just on photography. Uh, that's a dream on the videography part, which I'm not a videographer, but I can be a good director in future. On the image, I'm slowly stopping working with the youngers since I'm getting older. <clears throat> My team going to handle that, but I would love to create masterpieces that goes to the largest museum in the world. Oh. And I, I have some going outside right now in the decent galleries haven't been in a museum yet. Hmm. 
Wow. Well, you've got no shortage of ambition. What? Why is Vogue in particular so important? Because that that's a D fashion magazine in the world to me, isn't it? It should be. Yeah, but you're not necessarily just a fashion guy. I mean, in terms of the work you do. Well, I'm combining the fashion with the dance. Mm. It's a lot of wardrobe that we are using. <clears throat> Made a movement. We put in a. Uh, there is a magazine here in Houston. Hire us because because I can make the models move the way that they are looking for. Yeah. And time to time, I shoot the covers. That's why I imagine maybe one day woke. But museum is a higher goal. That's not. A, it's not a maybe. If you want it, I'm sure you can make that that happen. vogue happen. Um, and uh, and you know who knows? Maybe you'll force the twins to become the twin editors of Vogue by the time they're. I mean, you've got uh, plans for them That's already. So, um, Ashkan John, it's it's a it's a pleasure to talk to you. Thank, Thank you, you for the taking pleasure the time. Congratulations and. Um, uh, let's. Uh, if I come come to Texas, I want to, I want you to take me to. Is the Persian restaurant still there? The one that you worked? Yeah, in? it is. It's one of the good ones too. Caspian. <laughs> it's called Caspian. It's a Caspian. Okay. Do yeah. we get a tachvif because you used to work there? Yeah, they give us thirty person. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. It's a deal. Thank you so much That's for this. Thank you. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure talking to you. Bye bye. Have a good one. Bye. Ashkan Ruayayi, a photographer and the founder of Ashkan Media, a creative marketing agency that provides clients with videography, photography, web design, and social media. We reached Ashkan in Houston, Texas today. All right, microphone's back on. The captain, the captain Reza Gruvishaya, right. and uh, the fabulous Keon uh, Ashkan Ruayayi. What a testament to hard work! Yes, yes, I like actually that uh, testament. What do you say? Testament. 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 I, I, yeah, that he said that it's not because testicles. Of <laughs> <laughs> what? Sorry. Keon. I don't know why. <laughs> you got yeah, like your get your mind out of Reza, the gutter. Reza Keon. brings out the worst to me. <laughs> I didn't even say anything. <laughs> okay, continue, Shia, with your oh eloquent, beautiful words. <laughs> yes, Shia, John, please. Okay, it's such Excuse a beautiful you. testament. Yes. <laughs> the hard work. That, yeah, he said that uh, it's not because of his talent, which I believe he's the, he's really yes, talented. Yes, yeah. yes. But uh, his success came from his hard working and also his team which he he appreciate his team and you know this is something we usually miss in our culture we don't mm. appreciate our team you know yeah. we, if we have a success i mean i'm speaking as a musician mm -hmm. working in a band usually the singer wouldn't understand that the hard working of the like a producer or the mm. um, uh, the other musicians mm. it really matters to his success. Mm -hmm. So mm. it's r I mean I really appreciate. Uh, yeah, and I felt like he uh, partly it felt maybe a bit like modesty that he's saying, oh, you know, I'm not that uh, because surely he knows he's he's got talent, but yeah. but um, he really believes in this idea of you gotta you know. 
that hard work is the way to get there. Yes. Uh, and and good for him. I mean, it's it's true. Yeah. Nothing. I, I believe person. that as well. Um, and and what his work is just uh, is quite spectacular. It's mm. interesting too that he he's you know when you find your niche. Mm. You know when I was asking him about you. Do you want to phot- photograph other kinds of people? He's like, no, I'm, I'm, my thing is dancers, and mm. and that's that's his, yeah. you know, specialty, and 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 good for him. It's, yes. you know, why expand the menu to? to and work? that speaks, I think, to his intelligence. It's not only about working smart, uh, working hard. It's about working smart as well. Like finding that niche where nobody else is doing, tapping in, tapping into it, and sticking with it. Is really it's what a testament. It's a his. testament. Yeah, I did. I was trying not to remind Keon of the word testament, so I chose a different word carefully. Yes. However, yes, it's a testament to you his guys intelligence. Said Keon. it's so weird that I had to. There was so much focus on the word testament. Well, it is Monday, and as a testament to Monday, before we get to Ziba Shirazi, the singer, the songwriter, the storyteller, in just a little bit, let's go to letters of the week. Finish off strong and okay. Anyway, uh, that's a testament to me being weak today. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, all right. So last week we had the uh, episode on um, uh, we had Dr. Abra Hamion uh, on the show talking about the impact of Mossadegh and um, all of that. And so if a lot of people wrote about that episode. Mm-hmm. We have this past Thursday, contemporary yeah. history of Iran. That's yeah. right. Yes, indeed, <laughs> indeed, yeah. quite. Uh, we have Mahbube Khajavi wrote mm-hmm. to us saying. Thanks, Kion Jun, for not being in this show. <laughs> Let me finish. No, no. Actually, Let this is finish. this is that, that, that <laughs> you you're not you're yeah. never on the contemporary super round. So this yeah. is right. probably from oh, last previous. week's show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We so, had Maz talking right, about the World okay, Cup okay. and everything. Yeah. So yeah. Let me finish. <laughs> Thanks, for Kion, though. for not being in the show. <laughs> so that was the time the guys were backbiting. What kind of backbiting were you guys doing? Oh, we were making fun of you for, oh, for having so COVID sorry. again. Gee, if you thanks. listen to the show once in a while, you'll know. Yeah. When was the last? When was the last show that you missed that you actually listened to? Ever? Do you ever listen? I was dying in bed over the last week. (laughs) You just made the case earlier, like last hour, you were saying, I sit and watch Netflix. Yeah, Yeah, but I was dying in bed watching Netflix. This feels like work to her. She doesn't want to do it. (laughs) Well, moving on. Uh, Then we have Dr. Mehdi Baziar wrote to us saying, Oh my God. Dr. Abrahamian is one of the most knowledgeable historians, especially regarding the pre-revolution era. I even published a paper based on his translated book. Wow. Cool. You know, I he really is. It was a whether I, I know there's some folks who disagree with what he had to say about Mossadegh, but uh, he really is a remarkable person yes. to interview. Yes. Um, we've got uh, him coming back for Khomeiniism this uh, this Thursday on the Contemporary History of Iran, and it's such a joy for me um, to to talk to him because he's just a he's brilliant, and I feel like he speaks in a kind of methodical, slow, and accessible sort of way. Uh, He's not one of those academics who's speeding through things and people are kind of, what did he say? You know, but so I I really appreciated Dr. Yervand. He told me it's Yervand. Yervand. Abrahamian. Abrahamian. Yes. Yervand. 
Okay, All keep right. going, Kian. Yeah, so uh, a few weeks ago, you guys were discussing the Persian translation of bulletin board. So No, no, a couple weeks, it was, it was somebody said something about Shia said Diwari, and I was laughing like in the in the same spirit as as uh, Saga Abi, I was saying Ruznami Diwari, like a, a wall newspaper, mm. and then Reza said, "Oh, it's like a bulletin board." Right, um, and it turns out it's not yeah. entirely. So, Go ahead. Yeah. So Farnos Sarafi is uh, writing to us to correct you, morons. <laughs> <laughs> she says, okay. "Ruznami Divari, as Shaya and Reza said, was slash is very popular. It is not actually a bulletin board, uh, Reza." As Reza said, first, it's like a collage made by students and groups on some pieces of newspaper. It may contain pieces of articles, pictures, their own ideas cut and put on a cardboard paper pinned on the wall like a project. It shows students' talents and teamwork on a topic, how they gather notes and support them with images of their or their own drawings. Hope this helped. Oh, yeah, that's right. We would pin it to the bulletin Well, that, no, that that helps. Thanks, Farinaj. Yeah, but I knew this because as soon as we finished the show, mm. I walked over there to Anahita and Roham, and I was like, oh, they said it's like bulletin board. They were both like, that's not a bulletin board. <laughs> and these guys, no, they're supposed no. to be clowns over here. Yeah. No, no, actually, I, I don't blame Reza because if you want to explain Ruznamedivari to a like non-Iranian person, the, the closest thing would be bulletin board. That they can yeah. understand what we're talking about. But it about. sounds like it was a collage. It, it, here's here's my understanding of okay. Rusbana, and now now that I've spoken to a few people about it, it sounds like students, kids, whatever, would create the equivalent of the front page of a newspaper and put it yeah. on the wall. Like here's the news of the day. We're putting it on the wall. That's is that it? Because that's right. not a bulletin board. A bulletin board is like a, it's often like a cork board or something yeah. that's on the wall, and you pin notes like, "Hey, gym class is coming up at well, two p.m. You, you Here's a picture of me and my dog." You know, yeah, you yeah, bullet, yeah. you put anything on a bulletin board. But you put the Rusname Divari on the bulletin board. So yes, you're right. That's not a bulletin. Board. <laughs> <laughs> so you're both wrong, and yes. we're moving on now. <laughs> that's right. Hob, on the Contemporary History of Iran episode on Mossadegh, Hani Aryan wrote saying, "Another gem." Thank you, Rook team. Uh, and then we have Dr. Amir Ruzati wrote saying, I'm going through as many of the contemporary history of Iran series as I can. It's truly a remarkable and academic body of work from the unique vantage point that you and your guests have provided. Nice. Thank Very you nice. so much, Dr. Ruzati. So to answer Gian's question one more time as to why to subscribe to Rook mm. is because of this letter, letters like this. That's it. We appreciate that. Yeah. And then Have you subscribed, Reza? No. You go to website, rookmedia.com, click subscribe. Yeah. <laughs> that easy. And then, uh, support us. Support us. Rookmedia.com, yes. support us. Support us. Yes, sorry, Kian. All right. So and then we have username SGV Music wrote saying, I wondered so much because Ms. Mr. Abrahamian doesn't know in, in um, quotations he has, the Shah had the right to dismiss Mossadegh as he did. Mohammad Reza Pahlavi dismissed many prime ministers in his dynasty period from Ali Soheili to Hoveida and Amuzagar and 31 prime ministers. If the Shah didn't have to dismiss the prime minister, he had to carry out 30 coups. That's so funny. The rules had given the Shah the right, uh, and Mossadegh knew that based on Sadaqi's conversation with Mossadegh. So this is, uh, during the interview, um, this is with respect to whether 
the Shah enabled a coup or something, you know, that the argument is, and I put this to Dr. Abrahamian, is, is didn't the Shah have, don't, some people argue that the Shah had the right to dismiss Mossadegh. Um, and Dr. Abrahamian said no. And so this person is responding to that saying, actually, yes. Mm. And otherwise, he, he dismissed all these prime ministers and, and uh, Mossadegh would be one of them. So I, that's a, that seems to be an ongoing debate that mm. people are having. Uh, of course, you can hear uh, Dr. Abrahamian's position on that on the episode if you haven't listened to it. Mm. Yeah, and there's uh, here we have an essay by Alfred Weber. Um, okay, let me just take a deep breath because it's long. Okay, the impact of Mossadegh has always been exaggerated by Western leftists whose anti-imperialist agenda it suited. Mossadegh was another fool of politics who fell on his sword. So he nationalized oil? So what? The Shah was tearing up oil concessions and playing off world powers against each other decades earlier. So what Mossadegh did was hardly a huge or radical step. Reza Shah was removed by the British and Mossadegh, not a king but a politician, suffered the same fate 12 years later. The world has many Mossadeghs who have pressed ahead in the face of opposition from world powers, and in doing so, helped not to advance their countries but to bring about a lot of suffering, a story which the Shah continued in the 70s and which continues to this day. That said, it was a fascinating interview. It was great to hear details of the inner workings of the downfall of Mossadegh. However, things went south after the final question at 55 minutes when he started talking about the legitimacy of the Pahlavi regime in relation to the 70s. Fail. It seems the full story of what transpired from 1976 to 79 and beyond this still yet to be told, no doubt because many details would be highly embarrassing to the US and UK. Anyway, only two bad minutes out of nearly 60 is pretty good. Okay. Well, okay. Well, Somebody who's not a fan of Mossadegh. Yeah. Indeed. Such a testament. <laughs> <laughs> to what? What is it a testament to? You just wanted to say testament. <laughs> you have to actually <laughs> try and use it aptly in a sentence. But yeah. That's just a big testament, bro. <laughs> you wish to testify. <laughs> oh, I love this. This is the best letter. All right. On that note, it's time for letter of the week. Yeah. You're, okay, Rez is way excited. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Gee, it's not my fault they're long letters. No, I'm joking. Well, you used to edit the letters. What, I mean, you used to cut them down. Well, yeah, I mean, they were so eloquently, so they were a testament to how wonderful <laughs> the letters were. True, <laughs> true. Testament to how much the show is The word of the well. day. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> this week's letter of the week goes to Fargo M. And if you guys... Uh, by his writing style, you'll recognize that it's Farhoud. Yeah, Farhoud, he's, he's our repeat, old friend, a repeat uh, offender. Every six letters. months, <laughs> he writes a letter. He comes back. Yeah. Yeah. He catches Farhoud, up. Well, he's he's like COVID. He comes <laughs> back, <laughs> comes back and gets you a few <laughs> times. Yeah, yeah. But you're happy to have him. That's, That's right. Yeah. Well, Keon yeah. is because you say that now, <laughs> she goes on a vacation oh, really? every time. Yeah. Oh, he's well, been let's see if you're still happy. Let's oh, see. No, we says, do not wish COVID upon anybody. No, of course. And, uh, not. Nor is Farhoud like COVID. I, no. I was a joke. A silly <laughs> joke. It was a testament to my bad, <laughs> bad humor skills. Uh. All right. So Farhoud says, I can't tell if it's Gian's talent, a Persian trait, or the quality of guests. 
Two years in and the show has lived up to its name. You lack anything but integrity. Nice. I'm meeting family next month for the first time in 25 years, and I'm grateful that Rook has primed me in Persian life and culture. It's truly a privilege and a pleasure and an education to listen to your show. Now, that's nice. all the nice stuff. Can we just stop there? <laughs> no, Is there not. more? I, oh. time I was the enjoying letter. the letter. Yeah. <laughs> I should have just ended it off there. No. He says, now, looking forward, number one, he has oh, points. Boy. I thought I had a lot to say about what Reza has been saying the last few weeks. In some... Waterboarding would not persuade me to admit the things Reza has. And you'll absolutely hate me for saying this. I don't think you could direct one-way traffic, let alone a show. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, my God. He's a comedian, I swear. Anyway, he says, sorry, not sorry. Okay. Not, a fan of, or not a fan of Reza's abilities. Maybe oh. a fan direct. of Reza. But, yeah. That's true. Two, Keon, your pronunciation of... Qatar is horrendous. Is it Qatar? It depends well, on what depends. language you're speaking. It, yes, it's and, Qatar. and even in English, there's a well, hundred different it? ways. Yeah. Well, it's funny because when I was, at, I used to say Qatar. Qatar, yeah. And then at the CBC, at one point, yeah. they started telling us that we have to say um, Qatar. Ew, which, yeah, that's you, not how it's. You will hear some journalists Cotter? and anchors Ew. say Cotter, yeah. Ugh. But uh, yeah, and then Sounds and then like there's the Qatar. Qatar. Sounds a bit strange <laughs> yeah. to me, so I say Qatar. Qatar. Well, if the locals say Qatar, like they yeah. really accentuate the Qatar. Anyway. Qatar sounds like a Fox News host saying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Qatar. Anyway, so Kian, your pronunciation of Qatar is horrendous. Thank you very much. Uh, either say it in Farsi or English, damn it. All right, point <laughs> oh taken. Oh my God, the guy doesn't have and He's angry, yeah. No, I saw. And please bring back It's All Persian to Us or edit the old episodes and rename the segment. There are a few small few inconsequential things that are plausibly Persian to us. <laughs> I like that better, actually. Uh, but you do. Number three, Shaya. Yes. Damn it, Gam. Oh. Oh. I heard Dance of Damovand on Rook oh. Channel and forgot about it. Then I heard it again during the intermission in this episode and kept rewinding at oh. least a dozen times. Ooh. I tried Google Assist and I didn't get a result. Asked my mother and she didn't know. I gave up. Let the episode play and Jian say the song is written by Shia. Oh. <laughs> Since I started listening to Dang's show, I've discovered so much truly amazing Persian music. It's mm. even got my mother and I actively listening to music together. Ooh. A delightful direct result of our mutual love for Dang show. You're the MVP this year. Oh, oh. that's so nice. Okay, so basically this letter was just a yeah, love just devotion. Love to to but the song actually is written by Jian. <laughs> I just wrote the lyrics. Oh. Yeah. Oh, we see Farhood do your I homework. I think Farhood just wanted to hear what he <laughs> heard what he wanted to hear. He didn't hear the part. I, maybe I didn't say that. it was <laughs> music was written by Jian. But that's fine. You, Shia deserves uh, uh, all the, the credit for the amazing Testament music. Testament to he, his hard work. <laughs> Testament yes. to Dang Show. <laughs> well, thank you to all the letter writers. Thank you for your engagement and for especially when you when you, you hear something that you don't agree with or don't think uh, fits in terms of the contemporary history of Iran or whatever, really appreciate uh, hearing from you guys. Info at rookmedia.com is where you can send uh, emails, uh, letters, info at rookmedia.com or you just post on any of our platforms in the comments section. Let's get to our uh, next guest. Um, so thank you, Shia and Reza and Keon. Uh, the stories and hardships 
of Iranian immigrants around the world are a big part of what we try to explore on this program. And our next feature guest today is an Iranian-American singer, a songwriter, a storyteller who has spent years doing these kinds of explorations by way of poetry and music. And she can write a lovely pop song as well. Take a listen to this. یک شبی را آشغانه از حوث پاکم بکن هر نگاهت مجیبر هر تخت سنگ پیکرم پرتلاتم ترز پیشم قرغم واجم بکن A little taste of a song called Desire from the 2005 album Lost Dreams, written, performed, and recorded by our guest today, Ziba Shirazi. Ziba was born and raised in Tehran, started writing her poetry at the age of 13. She immigrated permanently to the United States in the aftermath of the Islamic Revolution in the mid-1980s. Ziba received her master's in performance and communication from California State University in L.A. For her thesis, she interviewed Iranian immigrants from all walks of life and then adapted and performed their stories in a poetic way. Iranian Diaspora Identities, Stories and Songs, published in 2020, is the result of that research and a collaboration with the prominent Iranian-American professor, Dr. Kamran Afari. Ziba is not just someone who chronicles the Iranian immigrant experience, but one of the first contemporary Iranian female artists who has written, performed, and promoted all her musical works since the 1990s. And right now, Ziba Shirazi joins me from Los Angeles, California today. Hello. Hello. Thank you for that wonderful introduction. What a pleasure it is to have you on this program. That, that, that's such a beautiful song, Desire. Uh, what, what did you want to express with that? That is my favorite song, I have to say. That's the one that I choose for every performance that I have. As you might have noticed, and I'm sure if uh, your listeners uh, know about my music, my music has a very much f- a feminine touch and uh, feminine i always uh, i had a friend that he used to say oh let's now listen to ashare uh, dasturi as ziba shirazi like commanding lyrics from ziba shirazi because in my lyrics i don't ask i command i don't beg i um, you know, I think I deserve it, so I I should have it. Mm-hmm. I should get it. I deserve the respect. I deserve the love. I deserve the attention, and I definitely deserve a good uh, love making. And that's what desire is all about. That uh, it's about a very feminine uh, love making, very sensitive lyrics that it has that's beautiful it, it, and something like that you would have written on the guitar and then accompanied yourself and, and say wrote the lyrics or how, how does it come about i call it a gift to be honest with you that every any lyrics that you give me uh, though i know only a couple of chords i can start singing it uh-huh. and i usually i write the poetry and the lyrics with that couple of chords that I know. 
Then I ask a professional musician who can read and write music, because I cannot read music and I cannot even write music. I do my things with humming and with just a couple of chords. But in my mind, I have I can imagine the, um, you know, how the song should go. Like, like for desire, I ask uh, Warren Ham, who did the arrangement for this song, that the song is very sexual, and I think saxophone has very, you know, it's very romantic mm. and sexual. So I wanted to have saxophone mixed in this song. So. But yeah, the arrangement is always by someone else, but I write my songs, if you can call it, with my guitar. I do it simultaneously at the same time. The, the songs are really um, empowering or seem to have an underlying um, pretext of empowerment. Um, and as you just said, you don't ask, you command. Uh, it occurs to me that you've never been content to just be a singer, that um, besides writing and recording them yourself, you've also made it something of a mission to tell the stories of Iranians, of Iranian immigrants, and also to really represent and speak to and for Iranian women. Why has there been that that greater mission, that, that desire to command uh, uh, in you rather than just being content to be a singer? Say. I tell you all how it happened, actually. I put it in my book. I was interviewed and asked by an Iranian male director to play a role and um, in one of his plays. He gave me a couple of plays, and all the time he asked me that, Ziba, can you play as a um, salite, uh, as a, like, it's, it's like one of those women that is always nagging and is always saying, uh-huh. you know, why this, why that, no, I want this, I want that. Uh-huh. You know, he was, all the, actually writing, all the, um, place that he wrote was about a woman that is always nagging, always uh, want to go to expensive trips, wants to buy expensive shoes, you know, okay. all these kind of things. And, um, you know, all the play that he talked to me about, and uh, once I just asked him, where are all these women that you're talking about? How come I don't see them? And he told me, oh, this is just a play. And I said, no, it's not just a play. You know, just a play become the norm. And I don't want to represent that kind of woman. You know, I tried so hard to represent women as a strong personality. And I don't want to go back to that weak woman that always, you know, asking for something. And so, so that came to me that why should men write and we play? I'm going to write myself and I'm going to play what I write. Mm. That is where story and song came from. So I talked with a friend that she was a psychologist and we thought, you know, what should we write about because we have seen so many, so many different lives in Iranian society here in Los Angeles and other places that we uh, have seen. So we came to the story of immigrants um, she couldn't, you know, follow the project, but I did follow the project, and I followed 
the project uh, to the point that I made it my thesis. So I went door to door and asked people about their story, that, uh, which only I asked two questions, and they came up with two, two and a half hours of a story. Sorry, did you, did you literally go door to door? Like you went to strangers? and um, Strangers, Iranian strangers, yes. yes I made a call to them uh-huh. and say, you know, you want to share your story. And interestingly enough, I have to say, Jian, that at the beginning, they wanted to be anonymous. <laughs> Later on, they wanted to come up on the stage and let everybody know oh, that, so yeah, that this is me, this was my story. Because the, all these stories is about growth whether growth financially, growth success in um, society, but mostly I would say growth intellectually. Well, hang on a second. Let me let me ask you about this because before you, um, first of all, you, you seem to have had this mission long before this story and song project. I mean, you, you know, back to your your albums from the 1990s i mean there's there, you know you're you're advocating you're you're speaking out um i want to get to some of that music but on this story and song project and and speaking to iranian immigrants and then adapting their stories through your poetry through your songs let me ask you first what did you expect to find and then i'll ask you how did the conversations meet with your expectations what did you think you were going to find talking to iranian immigrants at the beginning, I was looking, not looking, thought it would be more sorrow than success. Like, oh, I miss my country. Oh, you know, we could have been such and such if we were in our country. But then as I talked to people, I found that I would say out of 30 that I did, only two or three, which they came from a status, I have to say like they were from very prominent family before the revolution right before the revolution they were the only sorry ones the ones that they came from middle class and they started they found themselves here they found uh maturity they found growth actually most of them they had growth at the end of each story you hear you know that I was prejudiced before, now I learned something new. Mm. Very interesting, very interesting. And that got me going to, now even if we have a gathering, I encourage people to just tell their stories because I think it's very important. It's good that we talk about ourselves, that, you know, at the beginning of the revolution, when we immigrated, I've been here like 35 years, everybody was like, oh, I was from such and such family. Oh, I was, you know, that was the norm. Mm-hmm. That people were not willing to share how they started life here. And I remember when I I started the stories with my own story, actually. And in my story, I say that, you know, I came to America with $2,500 in my pocket. And the first car we had was a big Chevy, the rusty Chevy that my cousin gave it to us. And then immediately the night after, I had a 
email someone was telling me Zibajun I had exactly the same car mm-hmm. I'm so happy you're talking about it you know people were not they're not at ease to talk about how they started mm-hmm. as a friend of mine she's a psychologist that she said oh I'm so happy you're doing this so um, our children know that we didn't walk to this country with Mercedes-Benz right but you, you know, know it, it, I mean, it's it's two sides of the same coin. The the on the one side, the, you know, enduring hardships, and on the other side, the resilience to come out of that, um, which can be very empowering. What you've t- talked about, I mean, it, it, that, that I find exactly what you're saying in terms of the stories of the Iranian diaspora. A lot of the stories we talk about on this program that they end up being quite. Um, inspiring because people have survived. They've endured Mm -hmm. so much. That said, I mean, do you believe, based on there being this revolution, based on there being all that people have endured to to come west or to leave the country or to be refugees, based on there being, for example, the Iran-Iraq war and the damage that that um, inflicted uh, literally and psychologically, etc., do you believe that we are a traumatized global community that Iranians for the most part are dealing with some kind of trauma? Honestly, no. No, I think we are well adjusted. See, within all this storytelling, um, I have to say, while I was performing an an Afghan uh, organization wanted me to get a story from an Afghan woman and when she was talking about their community you know like she was talking about the community of uh, we have here in Los Angeles and I'm sure you have in Canada that elderly people get together and she was saying that how interesting that I see Iranian elderly they dance they uh, bring food they laugh but as Afghan, we just sit there and we cannot adjust to the happiness that this country brought to us. Mm. They are still living in sorrow. I think uh, we passed that, to be honest with you. Or oh. from what I see around myself, mm. we passed that. We, we are adjusted. It has been more than 40 years. It would be, I would, I would say, it would be so bad if we if we hadn't passed it. If we yes. will still feel traumatized, then what do we want to teach our children? Well, it, I mean, yeah. it's that's so interesting to hear. I'm glad that you've you're making that case because, uh, to be honest, it's it's not one I often hear. Um, I, mo- most people talk about us. Uh, you know, including myself, I would I would probably err on the side of saying we are traumatized, and and um, ba- based on you know this the homeland not being uh, anything or everything that we would want it to be, and and sort of carrying that weight, it's refreshing to hear your perspective saying that we're beyond that. If if you know, you talked about how these stories haven't been told a lot. Um, and there, it occurs to me that there's not much out there that looks at the life of Iranians outside of Iran, you know, Iranian immigrant experience. Why do, you, why do you think it, notwithstanding people like you doing this, why do you think it is such an unexplored area? Uh, <laughs> this is my opinion. I, when we do something, let's say, about Nowruz, 
we still want to wear those old classical that we don't even wear it in Iran 40 years ago. <laughs> we still want to chang bezanim bone. We still want to uh, hang ourselves to that tradition, right, although right. we are not that tradition. We are not that traditional. You see what I'm saying? It's, I hate to say that. Um, sometimes we, I see people that they are ashamed of saying that, you know, I don't like this kind of, let's say, classical Persian music. <gasps> you don't? Oh, this is your heritage. This <laughs> right. is this right, and that. Right. No, it's not. Let me be free. Let me, like, I don't know if you have seen it or not. Uh, I have it in my website. I made a spring lab. I made a story of uh, yes, yes. spring. Yes. And I made that international. I made that with regular wearing regular dress, having on a stage a guitar player, close to a tar player, and a saxophone player, you know, because we are mixed. This is what we are now. This is what our children have to get used to it. It's you so, it's so interesting saying? you should be saying this. You know, when um, Shajarian died last year, mm-hmm. and there was that, that, that outpouring, um, uh, an iconoclastic sort of um, uh, acquaintance of mine said, uh, yeah, but how many of these people actually were going home and listening to Shajarian? Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's this feeling, not to take anything away from the Ostad, you know, but it's this feeling that, of presenting airs like we have to be uh, liking this uh-huh. stuff or we're, we're somehow not good Persians or something uh, it, it, I, uh-huh. I, it resonates with what you're saying I understand you know that. like I I love jazz we constantly listen to jazz go to jazz concert go to different plays and so you know we explore and that is how you learn I have to tell you something Jian. when I was doing my first first album my second album Zananaha mm-hmm. which I'm doing it with piano and it's very I did it with piano and guitar piano and flute I remember I was going uh, that was in 1998 I met uh, an Iranian musician a piano player and I told him, you know, I want to do these songs and I want to mix piano and tar together. He was like, who do you think you are hmm. that you come up with this idea? Do, don't you think if that was a good idea, someone else would have done it before you? Some, someone who knows music, someone who is that and and we didn't work together. And you know, we saw Beatles brought sitar, you know, to their music decades and decades before. We were just too prejudiced to mix this. And I have seen people here still, I see that they are prejudiced. Oh, no, we shouldn't do that. But we saw later on, many, they came, they did it. They took the Persian music to the next level. Let me let me actually now that you've mentioned Sanaha from uh, 1998, let me play a little taste of maybe one of your most famous and empowering songs that appeared on that album, uh, Zen. Here's mm-hmm. here's Ziba Shirazi and the piece Zen from 1998. <laughs> 
From the album Zan on Air that came out in 1998, a little taste of the song Woman, Zan, from Ziba Shirazi. You just talked about um, the difficulty in finding a, the, the, the musician or the producer that, to actually make that record. What do you remember, Ziba, about, I mean, now people know that song, uh, many people, and it's, and it's quite famous mm-hmm. as this empowering anthem that you wrote. But what do you remember about how people first reacted when you uh, came out with that song? <laughs> It's, you know, men, they thought uh, I'm against men. That was like whenever, uh, whatever, you know, places that I go, oh, she's the one, she's feminist. Feminist, not that as a feminine feminist, feminist as someone who is against men. And I always told them that, have you listened to my songs? Have you listened to my love love songs, you know, that when I'm saying that kiss me, hold me, you know, all these things. But it wasn't very welcome, even from women. Uh, I, To be honest with you, I was once uh, in a hair salon myself and people were talking about me, didn't know that I'm there. <laughs> they were saying, why didn't she say man, man, I'm man, Xana? What did she say? And there were women that they were talking about it. And I had women that actually called me and telling me that years before when I was younger and you were singing all this, I didn't like you at all. But now I'm getting to know you. Now, Uh. which I think they are getting to know themselves, you know, that they are getting to know the songs because I think this, all my songs is very close to you know, women and feminine touches and feelings. I can, I mean, I'm sure the, uh, attitudes have changed in the last 20 years in a, in a big mm-hmm. way. So uh, the, releasing the song today would have different implications, uh, even Definite. from the 1990s yeah. in the Iranian community. Tell me a, a little bit about how you came to be this person. I mean, growing up in Iran, as I understand it, you always wanted to sing when you were a kid. You started mm-hmm. writing poetry in your early teens. Who who were your inspirations? I mean, how, how did you come to all of this? You know, I grew up in a musical family. My father had, a, as Iranians say, you know, he had a great voice. My and they were playing one santur, a violin, they were singing. So we were growing up in a parties that family parties was always like a show. And I always wanted to sing. And, uh, you know, I tell my American friend that 99% of Iranian are poet. We all write poetry, you know, it's, it's so familiar to all of us. So uh, at the beginning of the um, revolution actually my leg got broken in a ski trip and I was in bed for nine months and uh, I couldn't do much so I thought why not learn how to play guitar 
which uh, to be honest <laughs> my teacher told me that oh your fingers are too short it's not good for <laughs> guitar but your brother's finger is good if he wants to play so he wasn't very encouraging but i had a friend thank god that he played a couple of chords and we used to sing in parties together so i learned those couple of chords and i started to put music in my own you know, poetry and lyrics that I wrote. So I started to sing in Iran in, in our parties together. You come to America in, in 1985, as you say, mm -hmm. with your sister, and you have that only $2,500 to, to sort of make a go of it. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, there's a lot of hardships for any any immigrant, uh, no, mm -hmm. uh, and an, an Iranian woman, uh, post-revolution and hostage crisis and all that in the 80s. We, you know, we can have some expectations around how hard that would be. It also, though, takes you a while, you've said, after you came to America, to get back into poetry and expressing yourself. Why? Mm -hmm. What What was the shift in being an immigrant who came here that prevented you from doing what is clearly your passion? Uh, making ends meet. <laughs> it's, it was always struggling at the time. You know, you're homesick, coming out from a family that you're always surrounded with love, with uh, with comfort, I don't want to say luxury, but comfort. We we had a comfortable life in Iran, and then we came here with my sister, no green card, no work permit, looking for any kind of job. We came to Houston at first, and we were famous for two sisters that they know everything, because we knew a little bit of accounting, a little bit of secretarial <laughs> job, you know, typing. So. It really wasn't time to sit and write. Writing needs time. Writing needs, um, I don't want to say comfort, but not at least living without worriness. We were at the point, I say that in my, uh, and I wrote that in my uh, story, we had, a, there was a time that we put the rent aside which at the time rent in Houston was 350 a month mm. for apartment. You know, it wasn't much at all, but we put that money aside and then we purchased a sack of rice and lots of tuna. <laughs> a diet of, of rice and tuna. Exactly. Yeah. You know, for the time that if we couldn't find job, if we couldn't, you know, support ourselves, so at least we had the rent and we had something to eat. Mm. So now that we look at it, it's funny, it's fun. And I don't want to say that we were, you know, living miserably because uh -huh. we didn't. You know, we were happy that we are living in a free land, to be honest with you. For a while, I had a dream that I'm walking on the street without a scarf and getting up like a nightmare right. that, oh, I forgot to bring my right, scarf. Right, I somebody's going to come and take scarf. you to jail. Exactly. Or, yeah, yeah. And, and there was a time that I had a dream that I'm, someone is sending me back home. And I said, no, 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 I live in America. No, I don't want to go back. Mm. You know, it was that kind of uh, mentality. It wasn't time 
to write as life got easier I started to write again I came back to writing and when I came to Los Angeles I have to say because Los Angeles was more familiar with Iranian you know Iranian living in a better level of living there was many job available to Iranians I was hired without green card so that was a time because I had a good job I was working as an office manager that is how I made my first album mm. and my second and all the albums I made it with my own money because you know I could work and I could do things myself when you when you make those first albums in the 1990s um, you know the barriers to you making those records uh, were not just economic they were uh, social, uh, as you've uh -huh. intimated. I mean, you were one of the first women to write, perform, record uh -huh. your own albums. You've, you've talked about how your independent do-it-yourself style was not welcomed by the male-dominated uh -huh. culture of the Iranian music industry. How, how yes. did that manifest itself? I mean, you're there in L.A. where, um, for the most part, at least at that time, especially in the 90s, most of the Iranian music that would have been made outside of the Iran itself would be in L.A. H how was the male-dominated culture um, manifesting itself to prevent you from doing the things you wanted to do? Uh, when I made my first first album, which was Qisahay Ashagane, it was a cassette, and I took it to one of these um, production companies, Shekhat Tarane, and I remember the gentleman looked at me and said, you know, it's nice, but your voice is soprano. People don't like soprano voice, and, you know, your songs are to listen to. People don't like to li sit and listen to songs. You know, it was time that... Um, not enough 6-8, not enough Tisha Yes, <laughs> yes, right, yes. Right, right. At the time, you know, the songs was famous was Zir Sariyar Bulan You know, it was so different from what I was singing. So that is how I decided to just not only produce it, but I'm going to take it to people myself. So what I did, if... It, Let's say you call me and say, Ziba, would you come and sing to my in my party? I say, sure, I come, but you have to purchase this amount of tape from me. Mm. So you had no choice but to give all these, let's say, 25 tapes to your friends. So your friends know about me. That's how I promoted myself, to be honest. Uh, and I always say I went door to door and promoted myself and promoted my song. That's how I distributed my music. So, and then a radio personality actually got one of these tapes and she called me. So, you know, slowly but surely, I would say, people start to listening and following what I do. So, when I made the money for the first album I did the second so I did the second better and make it better and better and better but I never felt I was that welcome to be honest with you within the male dominated community of Iranian and I'm very much aside actually from uh, 
entertainment board of Los Angeles. I yeah. do my own things and I uh, put my own concert. You know, I only. I mean, we've, we've, you know, even people like Rana Mansour have spoken about similar issues more recently, you know, let alone uh, mm -hmm. in the 90s. But uh, have you had, um, I mean, does the story go that there there are people out there who've come to you, say, in the, in, in the last few years and said, you know, we were wrong, we should have uh, respected you more back when you made no. those records? No. No. Hmm. That's a shame. No. Uh, that's, that's a good question. No. Um, I remember when I was uh, doing Sibesor, I have a song, Hawk, uh, which is about Iran. Um, all my albums, except my man, has a song that started with a song for Iran. Because right, right. I thought that's the only thing I can do from here with my freedom that I have, whether about Iranian women, about, um, you know, young people in prison. So... I've been very much activist in that part of it. And I remember as I was, you know, recording in Sibesor album, Red Apple album, I had one hawk which I say, um, it's like I'm saying that, oh, people, uh, this strange land is not our land and this and that. And then I have another love songs at the end that I'm saying that, um, it's named Safar Nakone Kebi Hava. Very, it's saying that, oh, I hope you just don't live without saying goodbye, without hugging me and holding me and kissing me. And I remember a very famous uh, poet at the time came and listened to it and said, you know, you should forget about singing about Iran and things. You just sing about these things that hold me, touch me, kiss me. That's good enough for you. And I just looked at him. You know, but that was the personality, and I still think that is the personality. Do you think that would be, be different honest. if you were a man? Oh, definitely, definitely. Like, in other words, the, because you're a woman, there's an expectation that you should be writing a, a certain kind of... You know, the same gentleman, right, four or five years after I wrote my song, Zan, wrote a song, Zan, which one of the pop singers uh, sang it. And I remember exactly he came to the radio and said, Vitaud, now it's time to write about women. <laughs> oh, right. thank you right. after, you know, these years. Um, no, I think we still have way to go, Jian John. We still have way to go. In, in the course of that, you, you end up making quite a few records until 2011. What, what kept you going? I was working, I was making my own money, so as a friend of mine saying, some people use their money on car, on jewelry, on drugs, I used it on uh, recording. Uh, and Music is your drug. Yes, yes, that's how I made it. And uh, then I have to say in 2000, actually in 2009, I quit my job and um, started going to school and doing all my things. And that is why my last album, Mardeman, um, My Man, I made it live. I made it in a very small uh, studio that I, you know, sold ticket in higher price to like 90 people only that they came, they watched it live and then we 
recorded it. Let me play another song of yours, and I want to play it from from that record, that last album in, from 2011 called My Man. And this is a song mm-hmm. that may be familiar to many in our audience. Uh, it is the title yeah. track from that record, The Mar de Man, My Man. Take a listen to this. This is Ziba Shirazi. من به دنبال یه مردم پنجا پنج سال به بالا کی که بشماره اما سنش از شست نره بالا نه بلند نه خیلی کوتاه خوشقد و قبار باشه کلونی نه ولی خوب کمی خوش قیافه باشه I love that this song messes with uh, traditional notions of Iranians finding a a hot, young, materially successful guy. You, you, you say you're looking for a guy in his late 50s who's divorced, isn't particularly rich, has his ups and downs, doesn't want kids, doesn't really look like George Clooney. What, what did you want to get at with this lyric? Let me first tell you this, that when I had these songs out, one of my fan, a gentleman from, you know, young gentleman, sent me a note saying, oh, Ziba, this is too much now. You are getting too much now. If my mom listens to this and I say, you know, welcome to 21st century, right, you know, right. it's time to choose. Madam, um, I've been not living, dating a gentleman for the last 22 years. And actually he is, uh, he had his education in France and everything. So once he told me that, uh, you know, a French singer sang a song that uh, everything that she says, it goes with me and I want to go to France. And I'm just, you know, we were laughing about it. And then she transcribed, he transcribed the song for me. Although her song was very, very serious, beautiful song. Uh, to be honest, I forgot her name, but it's a beautiful song. And um, it's saying about the man that she's looking for. And so, so I had a concert in uh, San Jose. Without telling my man, I wrote these songs. I practiced it with my music director, Jose Miguel Yamal. And we played that song for the first time when he was there. And I have to say, many of the things that I say in these songs is the qualities that he has. And people are telling me that, oh, you just had Shaheen sitting there and write these songs. (laughs) I didn't know there was an actual man to your mom. Uh (laughs) That's so interesting. Yes, but now... Both our ages is more than 55 and 60s. <laughs> That's okay. But you know, when, 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 I mean, there's some great live recordings of you uh, on YouTube to doing this song, and the mm-hmm. crowd is laughing and, and you know, yeah. loving it. But there's yeah. also, a, you can feel that it's resonating for a lot of the women in the crowd. What, what kind of reaction have you received from women about this song, or for men, from men for that matter? I, <laughs> once, I remember I was in a private setting uh, performing these songs, and a gentleman said, if you ever find such a man, even I'm going to marry him. <laughs> 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 you know? But 
really? You because I find that. it quite liberating. It's okay. Oh, thank God we don't have to be a doctor and we don't have yeah. to, you know, have all these things that we don't look like George Clooney. I mean, it's it, it's kind of letting men yeah. off the hook to a certain extent for the Iranian thank expectations. Thank you for saying that, Jianjian, because you know how many times I see the reaction. Who do you think she is that she wants such a man? I mean, is it too much to ask for a man that is not married, you know, and it's already divorced? I mean, it's just simple things. And I always, you know, write it down that, you know, I reply to them. Is it too much to ask for someone that has some common sense? That has, you know, it's, uh, but I still wanted you to know that how the male society is thinking about this song, mm. that still this is too much of a man, too good to be true of a man, that you must be very special to ask for such a man. You know, you're so, um, it's clear you're, you're quite prolific you you have a facility for writing your your poetry your songs um you've stopped recording albums you you from what i understand you do a lot of ghost writing now you write for other people mm-hmm. um is that as rewarding as putting out your own records oh yes i tell you why i stopped making records because the computer and the digital world as much as it did good you know, make me more known to other people. But it didn't have any financial, you know, I didn't get any back, anything sure. back financially. And that's why I stopped uh, recording it. Even my live, the murder man that I did, the live uh, section, I didn't like it as much as I liked, let's say, Lost Dreams album. You know, a studio record, wise, yeah, yeah, studio yeah, record, yeah. and which, you know, for that one, that year, I paid like $21,000 for it, but I couldn't do it anymore. And then I thought to myself, if I can't, if I can't do it anymore, I'd rather not to do it. So I stopped that, and the storytelling that I was doing was getting me going, and then people asked me to write their story. I, um, my first client actually from uh, San Francisco, I had a talk in some uh, women organization. She called me the next day and said, you know, Ziba, every time I see you, you're getting better. I want you to write my mom's story. Because my mom mm. said that don't wait for me to die. If you want to honor me, honor me when I'm alive. Yeah. So I did that and I loved it. I went and I lived with her for a week. I recorded her voice like for 20, 25 hours. And then I performed her actually. I wore one of her dresses that she had. They were from very wow. prominent family of Iran. So I wore one of her dresses and I performed her as her while she was watching me. And I saw the reaction, not only for her, for the family, the appreciation. So I thought, huh, this is the one. This is what I should do. Because I don't have to be worried about selling tickets, you know, worry about 
spending. Yeah, and you're you're in a unique position that you are somebody who can do this, mm-hmm. and and you bring that personalized touch. I it's, mean, it's very actually twenty first century to be doing that. You know, it a, a lot of what you know artistry is these days is more one to one focused. You know, in, in connecting mm-hmm. with people, and and so um, it's quite beautiful that you do that. How how do people find out that they can get you to do this? Word of mouth getting me, mm. uh, you know, uh, because people tell one another, like if they want to honor someone, even when they want to have a memorial, I do memorial for them, you know, of the lost one. You know, usually when we lose someone, everybody comes and say that, oh, we all going to die someday, oh, be good together. But what I do, I perform that person's life mm. for the people. So people know who that person really was, what he liked, what he didn't like, what his friend thought about him. Um, and another thing I do, I make a book for them. It's like a family coffee table book I would say you know with their pictures with family um, reunions it's it's such a wonderful thing for me is like because each project usually takes about two to three months for me is like living it with the family wow that's really it's beautiful it's so joyful so joyful I enjoy it very much especially when I see people's reaction towards it when i see the effect of it on, on people it's also a way that you found to um you make a living through your artistry and um one yes. of the things that i mean before i let you go you know that this this we we've talked we talk about a fair bit on this this program is it just seems to come up especially in talking to creative iranians uh, artists and of different stripes and different um, types uh, that unfortunately Iranian culture for for a number of reasons which we don't need to get into right the second uh, are does not value um, being an artist being a creative person as something of great status um, <laughs> you know uh, it's uh-huh. it's a kind of a joke that we tell about a doctor or engineer but that that is the reality uh, what do you what do you say what would you say to a a 19-year-old woman um, uh, listening to this, uh, whether they're in Iran or outside of it, an, an immigrant to somebody of Iranian descent who wants to be an artist and is um, facing the pressures of parental or otherwise of that not being the, the quote-unquote wise career choice. What, what's your best advice to, to young women today? Support yourself first and then work on your artistry. Uh, make the money and spend the money on your art because people are not going to spend their money on you to make that art. Although they, you know, they encourage you and so, you know, I, I had a, an email from someone that, oh, we women in Iran, we don't have a voice, we cannot sing, and this and that. And I said, don't you think that if you come to America, it will be easy for you to sing? It's not. 
it's not that when you come here, everybody gonna support you and everybody gonna praise you and you can sing everywhere. No, we have many that they they are living here and they are living in a hardship. For me, I could do it because I was working, because I wasn't uh, depending on someone else to, you know, do my album, to make an album for me. And I was, I was the first Iranian woman actually who wrote, wrote her own songs and produced her own songs and did a different thing. It wasn't easy and it never did become easy. I tell you, Jianjian, it's not that now it's easy. Now it's easy because people know me, I get paid in advance to do such a thing for them. But at the time that I had that passion to be on a stage and to do things, to write songs, nobody was there. And it wasn't an easy life, I should say. You know, many, many disappointing uh, moments that comes. So my advice to young generation, whether men or women, young girls or young boys, don't think it's easy. And don't think you can make a living out of just being a singer as do what you like to do. Life is not that easy. Sage words, albeit difficult ones. Uh, Ziba Shirazi, it's been such a pleasure. I thank you for taking the time. I thank you for your words of wisdom and for the music you've created and that you uh, continue to um, create. And uh, I hope to see you performing live still, and hopefully you'll get up to Canada or we'll see you before too long. Hope so. It was wonderful talking to you. Thank you so much for this great opportunity. Thank you. Merci. Khodafiz. Merci. Khodanigadar. Bye. Iranian-American singer, songwriter, and storyteller Ziba Shirazi. We reached Ziba in Los Angeles, California today. And that is full time for Rook. Uh, thank you, Shia. Our website, rookmedia.com, is where you can find all things Rook. Rookmedia.com, uh, including where you can... Um, Go to support us with that become a patron. Thanks to the amazing team who put this show together. Savvy, Rohan, talented Anahita, Panta, the artist, the fabulous Keon, Super Patty Saw, Ahai Mehtad, Captain Reza, and Grivy Shaya. Thank you to all of you out there supporting us and sharing our content. Please subscribe on any of our platforms if you haven't done so already, or you can subscribe on all of them. You can find me on Instagram at Giangomeshi. And you can find Dance of Demo Man. Yeah. our song at our website bookmedia.com thanks again for listening see you Thursday with the contemporary history of Iran and Khomeiniism Mizun Bashi Mizun Bashi